Could not be more pleased to have back on the Rich Eisen podcast, Matt Damon. Are you one of those Patriot fans that takes glee in the Jets and the butt fumbling? Scene? I made the Liberace movie this year, so that's fine. <laughs> There's some butt fumbling in that movie, too. Just a wee little bit. <laughs> Larry David, good to see you, sir. I think a lot of writers can be offensive coordinators. What's harder? If I could write stories, why would I be able to draw up a play? He is none other than Broadway, Joe Namath. If Mark were to get the nod, and if he played decently, if, uh, if, what a big word for only two letters, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Cannavale. I told you my Derek Jeter story. I Yankees, Atlanta, for the World Series. Screaming, screaming, screaming. Nothing, nothing, nothing. He doesn't even look at me. Finally, last that bat, eighth <laughs> inning, yeah. Jeter comes up. Derek! Just turn around, man! Just turn around! <laughs> Finally, he like dumb. He does the thing with the weight. He's about to go up. He turns around. He looks at me. He goes, "Bro, I hear you." <laughs> Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer Rich Eisen podcast. Is your host, Rich Eisen? Hey, everybody! It is the post. Scouting Combine edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast coming to you on the last day of February, heading into Oscar weekend on a very soggy day in usually sunny Los Angeles, California. I am your humble host, fresh back from Indianapolis, Indiana. Good to see Chris Brockman out of the edit bay after slapping together yet another fabulous edition of this show on television. Good to see you, Chris Brock. Good to see you guys, Rich. Uh, first off, congratulations, my friend. Thank you. On, uh, on the 5.98 40-yard dash. Uh, blazing, blazing speed. Although, Chris Law, what did you hand time in? You were, yeah. you know, as we all know, Mike Mayock is the official hand timer of, yes. my, of my 40, and he sits in a chair right on the 40-yard dash right on the 40. finish line. Right there. Right. I mean, he's got a front nose seat. Right, literally. You were you were with Dwayne Munn, yeah, correct? Who our, is our social media director? Yes, of, uh, I of was all, probably about the fifty yard, forty six yard line, and, and you were behind, off to the left. right? Off to well, just a little to to the if left. You're running, from looking at you, you're right. right. If Mayox on the left of the finish line, you were just off to the right, to the about right. seven yards back. What did you hand time? Uh, in? So the the uh, the first one where you went six I also had six flat, which so you matched so Mayox. I matched Mayox, so I felt you know okay. pretty good about my trigger finger. I thought I was good. Second one, you come in at a five nine eight. I had you at five nine three. How about that? Actually, faster. How about that? Wow. So, and 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 Dwayne, he didn't hand time me. He vined it because that's his job. Yes, his job is not to time me. His job is to make it viral. Which he, by the way, he did a great job. Oh my goodness Absolutely. gracious! Yeah. At, the, at, to say this thing went viral is is I mean, an affront to the word virus. TM, I mean, this TMZ thing, showed up at the airport for yeah, you, well. and you were trending worldwide, I believe, at one point yeah. on Twitter. So obviously, Dwayne and and the crew here at NFL Network, at yeah. NFL, and the Instagram accounts, yeah, and the Facebook, Bryce Gustafson, another big yeah, too. they did a great job. But anyway, so Dwayne vines me, which, as you know, is six seconds exactly, exactly. in length. Exactly. Now, if I was slower than six seconds. I would not have finished the 40-yard dash within the construct of the vine. This is true. So it was, in a way, timing me as well. I ran out of frame by the end of the vine. It's your own Zapruder film, Rich. It is my own <laughs> Zapruder film. It's back into the left. <laughs> back into the left. 
And because this time has been a little disputed. Well, by Dan Patrick, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because he had a troll on it. He has to make it about himself, of course. <laughs> and as I said to him on my Thursday appearance with him, don't hate, congra- congratulate. And he said, actually, I investigate. Ah. And all of the Dan Nation was saying I did a six-one because I Dallas Hitchcock, yes. who put together the forty-yard dash piece, did a great job. Too. Great piece yeah. with the beats by Dre. Great cameo um, by Law. Yeah, Law you know. driving up in the golf cart and the Beats by Dre spoof. Yes. Because I've, funny. you know, as Very you know, funny. I've talked about that commercial for months. I've, I've, I think it's ridiculous. Because <laughs> what, what stadium? What stadium? What stadium? I mean, for Kaepernick, clearly that those are all the supposed Seattle fans, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what possible sports world do they allow the fans to line up in full froth like that within arm's length of the athletes walking through them? Yeah, I can't. And then in the case of Kevin Garnett, who I have nothing but the ultimate respect for, who eggs the Brooklyn Nets bus? <laughs> On what planet does the Brooklyn Nets bus get egged? Right? So I thought this was ripe for the plucking. Yeah, very, and we had we did a, we had fun with that for the preamble as I call it, the 40 yard There were great piece. signs. I, yeah, I got a I got a tw- I got a tweet right away from Kara Henderson about the get a real get podcast. A, well, that was I came up with the signs. <laughs> I got to tell you, that was, that ice was up, old man. I, my favorite one was uh, no action, boss. That was uh, <laughs> that one was great. And then the guy though actually had a bag of ice. I don't know. Well, if that was not saw. my idea. Yeah, I don't know was... who came up with the idea, but who, the crew members. Yeah, that was a lot of NFL Network and yeah. got in there, and then a bunch crew. of folks I think from Indian from the Indianapolis area who were part of the crew for just the the weekend yep. really got into it, yep. including the Lucas Oil Stadium red jacketed security, uh, security guards. guards. They yeah. were into it too. But the reason why I bring this up is because I told Dallas I want the 40-yard dash within the piece shown in its entirety. I want to see it from beginning to end so people at home can see the whole thing. No cuts. Right. Right. In previous years, they've been sliced up because we have so many great cameras Mm -hmm. trained on the 40-yard dash line for the real participants that – Producers sometimes want to, as you know, Brock, when you get in the edit bay, you see some beautiful shots, you want to show it. it I say, fine, you can, if you want to replay it, use those great shots. But I want to see the full 40 within the piece. Anytime I run it, I want to see it in its entirety so people can see how slow I actually am, or in the case of one of them, relatively slow or not as slow as as in in years past. So, what that means now, though, is there's these armchair. Timers, armchair timers. Five nine eight is the is the is the is the time. The first one was six zero, right? Susie, my wife, is on the phone. She called because she knew I was right around running it. Puma Nelson, one of the great uh, stage managers of all time, yes, had my phone and he goes, "It's Susie, right?" So she heard I didn't crack six seconds. So this was after the first run, right? And she's just like, "Come on, you can do it." So a mid run pep talk, pep talk. Yes, you can can do it. You can run it. Come on, get it done. And she was really enthusiastic with a little bit of an undercurrent of (laughs) don't come home if you don't do this. Because it's been years and years and years of building up, and it's nerve-wracking within the household. Because if it – Tensions build. Look – I mean, you you did as Mayock said in the piece. You you changed your diet a little bit I leading changed, up to. You, you guys saw me yes, with these saw with oh, these yeah. these green bags filled with with one macadamia nut and two whatever, egg, two yeah. hard boiled eggs. It was a little emasculating. Oh man. <laughs> or, you know, doing the right thing. Or emasculating. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, 
Susie gives me the pep talk, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I got to find one one hundredth of a second somewhere. And Mayock was saying, just run the straight line. It's all in the start. Because if I start better, I I, I had no I if I have no idea what I'm doing. You I had put the wrong, wrong hand, hand down. <laughs> See, last year I think you went to do that, but you had D on there to at least like Tell he, me. he was like, no, no, no. I know. Hand. I like the players were tweeting you about your form. And yeah, I got Brandon Albert tweeted, Terrell Pryor tweeted, Taylor Lewan, your Michigan guy. Yeah, tweeted. tweeted. It was yep. uh, it was very Cam Champ uh, did uh, or Wagner. The Bobby, Bobby Wagner, Wagner yeah. was one of the first. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> we're you gonna know? maybe should we say the 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 t shirts or I don't know. I mean, I don't know if people would buy a t shirt. Do you think people would buy a t shirt of a silhouette of me running with the pocket square flying and it's just five point nine eight? I think so. I don't know. I think that so. was my favorite shot. You want to talk about cutaways of of, of the because I ran the, out of my pocket the, square. The, the phantom shot and then the pocket square is flying out. The phantom. Explain what the fan. What is the uh, phantom fa- shot? Phantom cam. It's a type of camera that shoots like a thousand frames. It shoots a hundred, a hundred frames a second. Yeah. Well, yeah. There, there's all kinds of different speeds, but yeah. th- it's very, 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 very slow motion. Oh, that's the NFL end motion. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. So there's, that a, there's, camera, a, there's a slow mo can of, of you, and you're like mid stride, and then the, you see, see the, the pocket, pocket square, square flying out. out. Yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> it's so good. Though. But it's nerve wracking. I, so I told, I call Susie. I did it. I did it. She's screaming. She's in the car. She's going nuts. And then she says, can we not do this anymore? <laughs> can we not do this How anymore? How can we not? I mean, after I don't that, know. I think said, this is the walk-off, part though, right? of me, Part of me thinks I broke six seconds. Yeah. You're not going to break and five. as you know, my two greatest fears... Because I'm not fearful of looking silly, clearly, <laughs> right? I think that has been established. Rich, you have a long track record. I have a long track record, especially <laughs> with this silly endeavor. My two greatest fears that I have is, one, I'm going to get hurt. Right. All right? Because I'll tell you what, the Under Armour uh, cleats that they gave me, the uh, the, the, the blur, the blur, the blur yeah. right? The blur, the camouflage blur, those things are like vices in the ground. I'm serious. Whatever technology, it's, first of all, they don't weigh it. They don't weigh an ounce. It's like you're not wearing anything. Oh wow! Until you step on the turf, and now I—I I mean, I could see how ankles get turned and knees get blown Does out. They hurt? No, they just you certainly to mere mortals like me who walk oh, you around. Really dig they clamp in, in the, there and they're like okay. vices into the ground. Yeah, it's unreal. Hmm. So I'm warming up and I'm feeling good. And, and, trip there and then I'm, I'm beginning to stay, like run backwards five yards, and I felt my calf start tugging. Oh. And I'm like, holy, because seriously, like your foot plants in the ground, you need to really pick it back up. up. Yeah, there's no gliding just on the surface. What Under Armour has come up with, I don't know what it is. It's incredible. I'm, I, 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 bottom line is I'm afraid of getting hurt <laughs> going in. So I handled business in the pr- proper way. And the other thing that I'm mortally feared of, fearful of is this thing jumps the shark. Well, what you do it is... It jumps the shark. People are like, it's enough already. You broke six seconds. Why do I want to see... Next year, I'm 45. Who wants to see a 45-year-old guy run? You know what I mean? I, I want to I make sure that this thing does not jump the shark. You let it rest the reaction, for a few years? The reaction that, I, that we got, though, was off the charts. I've never seen a reaction like this. Now, maybe it's because I did finally break six seconds. I don't know. So, 
part of me is like the reaction that I got is how do I not do it again next year? How do I not aim for less than five nine? How do I not try to just keep proving that yes, us mid forty guys out there living the dream, running a forty yard dash at the combine <laughs> in a stupid ass suit and tie, although very stylish. And it looks great. thank you. And how do I not prove that all of us guys out there living I, the dream can get faster by but we can be by almost we a can full be better you. and younger as we get older. Yes, follow follow that lead. Or do I do the Seinfeld I choose not to run. That's right. <laughs> I choose not to run. Walk I'm in the walk off camp. Well, you did so have Susie. you did have one other drop the mic moment this week, <laughs> which I think we need to also. Did you tee see up, that? I, of course, which I, did. I, I, course I do I have. That. I do have it. If you want to tee it up, though, sure. So, um, uh, I'm I'm constantly on Twitter during uh, my on the air duties because of various reasons. It's a great news feed. It's a great way to get feedback. I, I I it's another media platform. I pride myself on 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 responding to people who who at me. Absolutely. On the air, I can do it in a commercial break. I can multitask. Sometimes a producer does have to get in my ear twice, three times in a commercial break to tell me what the traffic is coming out of the break because I am busy just seeing what the reaction of what we're doing is. If there's anything out there, I should re- report. When Mayock uh, talked about, I believe, your guy, Penn State, Urschel. Yeah, John Urschel, the math. Uh, he's, a, and he's, you know, he's a math genius. Or he said, well. And no, it's the, 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 the BC running back. Fourth on his draft board. He was nominated for the Heisman. Right. Oh, for, oh he's in his geez. fourth. He's fourth on, his on the Heisman Trophy. So silly. We so it got week. eight. Yeah, it's been a long week. It's eight hundred guys. The BC running back is a poet. Ah. And he goes, yeah, and he's even into poetry, is what Mayock says. I'm like, well, why would you say that? Why would you say it that way? And he <laughs> talks about haikus being three five three, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think it's three five three. <laughs> it's five seven five. Even I knew that. And Come somebody, on. somebody, uh, somebody tweeted me a haiku. Oh yeah, I did. Remember see that? that? I did so, see that. So that's why I'm on Twitter. Of course, so we put that tweet. By the way, my nephew Lee Eisen at the U, he texted me a haiku after I told him. You know, I told him because we run it Monday. I told him that I broke the six seconds. I got to read you his his haiku. This is great. He wrote you a, a rich he, run forty. He haiku. texted me a haiku okay. run, rich to run. tell to tell Mayock because he knew that I was getting some grief and stuff like that. Here we go. This is this is from my nephew at the U. Time takes eyes and hair, but we shed like great swimmers, and our speed improves. Excellent. Nice. That's a good haiku. Excellent. That's very nice. I, I I'm love, proud of my I nephew. Love, I love haikus. So, well, you're a man of of, of letters. Right you're I a am. writer. I am. You was, got you have your own blog. That was good stuff. I do. ChrisBrockman.com. Go there now. A man of letters. I like that. I got a mock draft. You're I got a man an of Oscars letters. Preview. You are all kinds of stuff. Oh, good. So, uh, at any rate, uh, that's why I'm on Twitter, and I see Chrissy Teigen, the lovely and talented and beautiful lovely friend and of the talented. program, friend of the program, Chrissy Teigen. Tweets at me something along the lines of, I must have missed your invitation to run the 40 with you at the combine. (laughs) And I copy that and send it to the producers in the truck. And do you want to roll it Yeah, sure. I had them put it on the screen. There we go. 
It's just, it has a pre-roll of commercials. So. All right, latex. Yeah. Oh, by the way, this is great. All Uh-oh. of it. Leave all of this in. <laughs> Edit none of this out. Do you understand me? I thought you said By you had way, it ready. Technical difficulties. While he's working, I have it on my phone. While he's working this, okay, here we go. Crying out loud! The tweet is from Chrissy Teigen. I must have missed the tweet where you asked me to run the forty with you. She's one of the three ladies on the cover of the swimsuit the edition. Cameras on I have you to explain this to Sports Illustrated. So what that means is, I am out of here. That's a mic drop. <laughs> How's your wife feel about that one? Just wondering how his wife feels about I it, but away. I I got this host thing covered. I'm ready to go. I like Mayock quick to throw you under the bus. With yeah, what's your wife Susie. think about it? It's still downloading. No, it's, it's all right. That's enough. Time. I came back and we had fun with it. By the way, here's a great latex moment. Oh, fantastic latex moment. Better than the one that just happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. Can I get a? You gotta give me a hint as to what you're. No, 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 no. Tell the story. Fantastic. Tell the story. Latex moment. As Uh-oh. we are shooting the forty-yard dash. Beats by Dre, mock. Of course. Okay. We're talking about, um, so um, I'm getting out of the golf cart, and it's the shot of me stepping out with my shoe. So you get the tight shot of the shoe. Yeah. The, the photographer, the cameraman, is literally almost on his stomach with the camera at shoe level shooting it. Shooting it from shoe level, that close up on his stomach, getting a shot clearly of my foot, maybe up to the shin. <laughs> and Law goes, We might have to do that again because he pointed out that there was a continuity issue with what I was wearing <laughs> up around my shoulders because didn't... The, I didn't have the Dre headset on. <laughs> I had it, I had it around my show. I had it around my neck. So this was a, so, a multi-cam issue. So he's just like <laughs> there were multiple cameras there. In my defense, the guy was shooting my foot. <laughs> it and was he goes, not wait nearly a minute. as close. He says, and he's sitting in the golf cart. He's like, wait a minute, you got to shoot it again because he didn't have the the headsets around his neck like he did when he when he drove up. So there's a continuity issue with something around my neck. When, when the, the camera, camera is clearly, on his stomach, the guy is on his stomach, the shoes shooting my foot. Look, are you aware how all of these pieces are put together? I'm a hundred percent aware, and I didn't know what type of lens he it had. Was it could have been wide angle. And it could have been a wide angle. Dallas, Hitchcock, well, all of the producers, all in the the, the camera, the, the guys who are on their stomachs, looking up from the ground, saying. Why do we got to do that? Again? This is turning into a fish story. No, now. it's this not. Is, oh no! This is no, no, no. ridiculous. Oh, well, I changed on. not a single shred of evidence <laughs> from that story. Oh, Big man. time latex moment right there. Yeah, Big happened. time. It He's happened. my latex salesman. Yeah. But anyway, uh, you also, Chris Lowe, did a great job setting up the room in which we shot the Combine special. That yeah, again a lot, was a lot aired. of set dressing. looked great. Yeah, I thought it looked good. We used that different camera, so we got a little slider motion on it. And we're going to play the full contents of the conversations from that uh, show. Correct. Uh, we'll go in the order in which we had it on the television program? Yes. Jeff Fisher first. Yes, the St. Louis Rams head coach, Jeff Fisher, who, you know, I went in thinking, <sighs> what do I want to hit with this guy? And and you talk to a coach at a combine, no matter if you've Jeff's done this twenty years now for crying out loud, or a, a new head coach, they're they're not going to tell you what we're looking for in the draft. They're not going to tell you like I, I did not ask Jeff Fisher what are you going to do with that number two pick, just didn't do it. Yeah, because what is he going to tell me? This was seventy six days before the draft, and we taped this last Friday before right. the combine. Seventy six so days before the draft. Yet. Yeah. So what am I going to do? 
So I didn't ask him that. I wanted to hit him on all of these rule changes because he is an integral part of the competition committee. Former co-chair, when he left the sport, he just came back in as a regular member of the co- of the competition committee after his year off between the Titans and the Rams. So talk to him. And then Blake Bortles, one of the top quarterbacks available, spoke with him. Stud. I was yep. in, he, was, he was physically impressive, and the way he spoke, he was impressive. impressive. Big dude. He's big a big dude, dude, right? Yeah, I know. He's repped by Big Ben's guy. You could see Toner. there's some similarities. Yeah, Toner, yeah. Ryan a Toner. Lot, you could see, you could see there's, there's a ton of similarities between these two guys. There really are. And, um, and then uh, Thomas Dimitrov, the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons, who that we was always a, have that was great. on this show prior to the combine, usually um, on the phone and – the first time we ever chatted with him on the speakerphone. Yeah. <laughs> on the speakerphone. You don't do that to me. There's very few things that I get my hackles up about. I don't get speakerphone. Speakerphone. Although TD did say, I mean, he's a fan of the show, though. He oh, listened yeah, yeah. When he bi- he's a big biker. Uh, right. Rides his bicycle He's a lot. on his treadmill a lot, too. He, yeah. he well, he was saying how uh, he speakerphoned Arthur Blank once. Yeah. So you're in yeah. good company. I understand. But yeah. just, just don't speakerphone people. Well, when you speakerphone someone in the media, you know what that means. What it means is the PR person is sitting next to them. And it's just like, what are you going to do? You jump in. Remember, you remember when the Jet PR person jumped in between Darrell Revis and Mike Francesa on WFAN? I don't And what an it. unmitigated disaster, disaster. that yeah, was. I do remember that. The bottom line is the player has to handle him or herself on a radio interview with the interviewer. Because if a PR person jumps in, there's nothing ever good comes out of it. No. Well, it, it was kind of like uh, our, so, what, our, what our friend Dan Patrick had when uh, the Qualcomm, uh, when Matt Harvey, Matt Harvey was like, I'm just, Harvey, here. I'm, just here right. to, I'm just here <laughs> to honor. <laughs> to, honor. To, to plug Qualcomm. That, Qualcomm. He didn't say a, plug. That was amazing. To honor. Honor, Qualcomm. honor the commitment. <laughs> that, was an, that was a disaster. My wife, Cherry, used to work for Qualcomm. It's a big San Diego company. Unmitigated disaster. Well, at any rate, so Thomas Dimitrov in person, and then... And then, because Oscar weekend normally is on Combine weekend, it wasn't because of the closing ceremonies of the Olympics. The Oscars decided to go ahead and hold its 86th edition of the Academy Awards this coming weekend, the first Sunday in March. Could be a wet red carpet. Yeah, Might no. be a blessing in disguise, yeah, Brockman. Well, we, we didn't get, get a there. spot this year. I know, but I'm still bummed oh, that so we're am not going to yeah. be it, there. It, uh, it's a long day. If it would be pouring, though, that would not be good. No, it would be, it would be terrible. I'm miserable. But still. It's such a it's such a cool experience. I, I really wanted Law to go all out on their pre-show, too. so they cut back credentials because they're increasing their footprint, and they only give twelve domestic and then I think fourteen international credentials, and they cut them in half. So we missed out, but hopefully next year yep. we're back on. Um, so Jim Moore Senior, we're gonna get him on the phone, and obviously with uh, the Houston Texans sitting first overall, maybe thinking quarterbacks, he is the man who drafted Peyton Manning over Ryan Leaf, along with Polian and the rest of the Colts crew there. And and a few Dominique. weeks ago, there was a whole big to-do when Lee Steinberg's new book came out. He said that they purposefully tanked. Sabotage, Ryan Leaf perf- perp- purposely purpose- sabotaged the interview process to not be picked number one overall by the Colts, which is absurd yeah. on its face. I got to ask Senior about that. I got to ask Jim Moore Senior about this. hear what he says. That'll be fun. Yeah. So, uh, and we'll fire up the Diddly Poo rating system again. Absolutely. And that's uh, still to come, but let's get things started with the head coach of the St. Louis Rams, also of the competition committee, Jeff Fisher. Pleased to have back on the Rich Eisen Combine special, the head coach of the St. Louis Rams, also an influential member, I'll say that, influential member of the competition committee, 
Jeff Fisher. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah, thank you. This is your 19th year as a head coach in the is National it? Football League. Yeah. You, you did, you've lost no, track? I lost track, yeah. How has the game 19? changed since, yeah, since, since you started? How's wow. the game changed in your um, life? Gosh. Well, we were playing games on AstroTurf. Yeah. Um, in an Astrodome. In an Astrodome, right. yeah, with no fans. Yeah, that's kind of... <laughs> that's one start. Yeah, yeah that's, that's how it started with me, yeah. And then we packed up and moved, you know. So, I mean, it's really changed. The game is, um, you know, it's faster than it was then. Offensively, it's much more complex. Same thing with defense. Um, special teams games obviously changing because we're not, you know, returning very many kickoffs now. And... You know, we're making all of our extra points and field goals. But, um, you know, it's, uh, there's still a great deal of passion for it. Um, I personally like to see a little bit more respect, you know, for How do you the mean? game. What do you mean? Uh, just from uh, opponent, between opponents, you know. I'd like to see that, that happen on the field. Um, you know, in light of what's, what's happened, you know, I think, I think we need to go back um, uh, to our individual franchises, our individual teams, and, and, and send a clear message that we need to eliminate taunting and bring back the respect factor. And because we set as, a, as an example for, for all the other levels of our sport. Are you, are you referring to what Richard Sherman said after the NFC Championship? And no way referring to that. No, okay. I'm talking about uh, some things that happened down south, um, you know, player to player. Uh, some things that, that we're becoming more and more aware of that are taking place on the field. Um, and I, I just think uh, it's an emotional game. Players are going to players are going to say things. And Richard Sherman's a great player, and all, mm -hmm. and all that. But not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about maybe cleaning up our language uh, a little bit. Uh, that's been the the, the main focus, uh, you know, you know, earlier in the week with the competition committee. So competition committee is talking about this specifically about cleaning up language that that maybe refs could throw a flag if a certain word is used on the field. Absolutely. Yeah. In our world, as we move forward with technology, which you're probably much better versed on than I am, um, we're going to have mics. We're going to have you, – you, you can imagine what we're going to have in the future on the field. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we don't need that to be part of our product. So what else is the competition committee talking about because I have some ideas. Why don't you bring it on? Okay. We, we don't have anything as controversial as the crown of the helmet rule last year. Right. As we speak right now. Now, we're going back to work in a week from now for another week of meetings. But uh, right now, game's good. Player safety's good. You know, we need to continue working with, you know, uh, becoming the word consistency and officiating, things like that. Ah, uh, now. This is where... Am I scratching I, your surface? You're scratching the surface okay. here. Because consistency in the officiating, and I want to preface this by saying that I think the officials overall do a great job. And Dean Blandino is fantastic. Absolutely. As you know, we've, we've yes. talked about it right. off the air, right. too. That said, uniformity, consistency is another word for it. Uniformity. Mm -hmm. There are two things that can be done that I think fans are looking for uniformity, where they can watch a game on CBS at 1 o'clock, and the call that's made at CBS at 1 o'clock is the same call they saw on Fox at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Same play, same call, as opposed to sometimes where you see completely different interpretations of what a catch is, for instance, or whether a ball is knocked loose with forward progress, et cetera, et cetera. Uniformity, one thing, centralizing the officials for replay. Where does that stand right now? I think it has a chance um, in the future. It makes sense. Um, we're just currently discussing it. 
I think we would we'd be asking for big problems if we tried to do it um, between now and next season. How so? Um, it's, it, we're going to have to ease, in, ease into it from an equipment standpoint, uh, from a location standpoint, things like that. And there, there needs to be a, a lot of things discussed. First and foremost, we want to get the call right. Okay. Secondly, I don't believe, nor does the committee believe, that you need to take, it, take the referee out of it. The referee needs to be part of the review. Okay. So how do you, how do you accomplish that? That's, those are the things we're working through. So um, it's just not that easy. There's a lot of things that need to be discussed, and we're discussing them. What is the issues with the – take me through the discussion process, because it seems as simple as instead of having one guy upstairs in a booth who's an official, replay official, at the stadium, you just have – a group of guys, maybe it is Dean Blandino, when it's just one game, certainly mm -hmm. he is the one guy that's mm -hmm. on the phone to a referee at the stadium. Mm -hmm. why, why can't it just be as, as simple as there's a couple other people, men or women, who Dean can train, mm -hmm. and those are the folks sitting at 345 Park Avenue, right. and this they're is good not, to go this by is not September. High, this is not hockey, okay? We have way more things that are reviewable. We also have, correct me if I'm wrong, 10 games going on on Sundays at, at noon Central Time, mm -hmm. 1 o'clock Eastern. So a lot of things going on. So, um, you know, we, the committee is, is uh, very careful about um, overreacting, jumping, to, jumping the gun. We, you have to think everything out. Like I said, we're going to head in that direction. Um, there may be an opportunity for somebody like Dean, um, to, to correct uh, an incorrect replay review if that, in fact, happens. Like overrule what he's seeing correct. from 345 Park Avenue. Or, or some place, okay, mm -hmm. temporarily until we get the, a system, if we, in fact, decide to do that, right. So a, a ruling on the field is made. Referee goes under the hood speaks to a replay official upstairs, they come to a conclusion and announce it, and then Dean Blandino can overrule it, or he's listening in to the communication that's going on. We on don't field. know yet. He may, be able to, he may be able to get in touch with them and say, this is my feeling on the play. Okay. So a lot, a lot needs to be discussed. A lot needs to, you know, believe me, we're, we're, we're on it. Dean's on it, everybody, but it's, it's just not, it's not as easy as one would think. Well, you also have the role of being a head coach on this committee. Walk me and the fans through the process of why a head coach needs to have the referee as part of this. Why must a referee or the head coach have to look the, uh, in the eyes of an individual who has made this call as opposed to having the referee be the messenger and you just trust the process that, that has gone on? Well, um I'm taught, you know, the, the college game, um, the referee's not involved. Right. And, and the college system is working to a certain extent. I don't know what their numbers are and things, but our systems are different. There's, a, there's things that are reviewable in their system that aren't reviewable in our system, and I think that's for, you know, there's for another discussion. But the referee has nothing to do with it. So he puts them, as you see him, he puts the headset on, and he listens, and he comes out, and he says the ruling on the field stands, mm -hmm. or uh, it was not, it was a, the pass is incomplete. Oftentimes the, the referee, when he puts the mic on, has no idea what 
what's going on, mm -hmm. okay, because he's not consulted with any other official on Or physically not viewing it. Is, right. Or anything. Uh, now, you, you do have a challenge in college, okay, but, but if, if as a head coach you're going to challenge, you know, I would tell the referee, I'm challenging the rule, and on the field I believe this pass is incomplete. He had one foot down. And so now he knows what to do when he goes in. And then during that process, you've got a, a replay observer that, that is part of his crew, in essence, trying to pull up the, the network feed and get the right shot. Right. Right. So you, you again, I just most head coaches that I've spoken to are saying the, the decision-making must stay within the stadium. It just has to stay in the stadium because it's, a, it's something that um, is part of the, the aura or, or the, the tempo of the game that wouldn't be seen in a centralized facility. Is well, that, I don't, is I, that a general you sense? If, you, know, there's, you could have a centralized facility still with the, with the referee involved. I mean, he, the referee's got to obviously be involved. Okay. There's, there's a lot of different options there. But, you know, we can talk for hours on this thing. I know. With a committee, the committee's working. Um, the commissioner uh, is in favor of us moving forward with everything. I think Dean is. But, Again, this is, a, this is a complicated process, and it's going to take some time. Let me move forward with the time I have with you left then. The other part of uniformity is making everything reviewable. Everything's reviewable. So uh, Joe and Jane Sixpack sitting at home doesn't have to see something and then wonder why, how in the world you as a head coach cannot challenge something like, for instance, Navarro Bowman in the NFC Championship game. Just making right. everything where you keep the same number of challenges – so that doesn't extend the game, but everything is just made reviewable, and it's up to you as a head coach in the NFL to decide on which play to use your When challenges. you say everything, Rich, are you saying penalties too? Yes, yeah, so everything. You know currently we only, we only review two different things with respect to penalties, okay? You have, we have 12 men on the field, mm -hmm. and we have a legal touch. You know, as you go in of bounds or go in the, out of bounds and touch the ball. Those are the only things. If we open the, if we open the door to penalties, then where do we stop? And you're, you're talking about now uh, taking, uh, asking someone to make an objective decision underneath the hood, okay? And now you're going to say, okay, now we have two subjective decisions, one that thinks it's DPI and one that thinks it's not DPI. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going you're gonna to have problems with that. You know, and, and then, then the other thing is, is you'll, you, you won't go home. These games will last three and a half. But, but if you keep the same number of challenges, wouldn't that keep the, the, the game the same length? Um, well, if, if so, we're not going to open everything up to the to the. Well, I guess the last two minutes of a game would be would be potential over half would be. So what you're what long. you're saying is you're gonna you want me to be able to challenge a penalty. Yes. But do you want the, the, the observer to ring down and challenge the penalty? I guess that that would be you know, see, that would be lengthening the game. It's right going to lengthen the game. Yeah. So that's so you that's don't like the that issue. Idea. I don't like that idea. Okay. Our system was designed to overturn an obvious error. You've heard that over and over and that. over. Yeah. And we're trying to we're trying to make it better. And and Dean, Dean, I'll tell you, Dean came from replay. You know, that was his expertise. He knows it. Sure. And, uh, you know, we'll get it sorted out. A couple of things. The yes. Extra point. Is that going away? You think? Uh, no. Okay. No. Uh, what about expansion of, of, of the playoffs? Uh, it, w it will be discussed uh, with our next meeting and then probably discussed at the owner's meeting whether it gains momentum it remains to be seen. What do you want to see changed? If you had your chance to just wave a wand and surpass your colleagues on the competition committee, what would you, Jeff Fisher, want you know, to see I th changed? I this think game? the game's good right now. I think, you know, um, we don't get an opportunity to – 
to disclose the numbers, the, the, the fact that the concussions are coming down, okay, that the penalties for defenseless hits on receivers are coming down, um, the scoring's up. You know, everything's good right now. Again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. I'd like to see not a culture change, but the respect for the game in, improve significantly. I want to ask you about your team, obviously. Yes. You are in... <clears throat> without question, the toughest division in football. There's no question about it anymore. I mean, when, when many people thought the NFC Championship game was, in fact, the Super Bowl this year, that's the general sense mm -hmm. of, of the fan base. You had seven wins last year, which could have been good to be in the running for some division mm -hmm. uh, leads, and you finished in, in the basement, for the mm -hmm. lack of a better phrase, with mm -hmm. a seven-win team with an upward arrow. How well do you think the St. Louis Rams can do this year in that tough division? Well, you know, last year we were 4-0-1 in the division, or 4-1-1 in the division, and um, this year we didn't fare as well. Obviously, we lost Sam. Um, we were throwing a ball at the end zone on, on fourth and goal, last play of the game, to beat the Seahawks and do an incomplete pass. Uh, so every year is different, but um, we we think we're closing the gap. Um, we are definitely on the bottom. The Cardinals were 10-6, you know, <laughs> and so we got a work cut out for us, but... Um, um, you know, we, we feel, our guys feel, well, you know what, they got to play us too now. And I mean, I think if you, if you start there and continue to improve, you know, what, we'll be competitive. What do you make of the conversations that Sam isn't the right fit for your team? Speculation. I don't know uh, where it's coming from. Um, Sam uh, will be ready. Um, he's going in the third year now in the same offensive system. I think uh, projected we project his numbers out, and he stayed healthy, which is could, you know that's always a, what it could have should. You know, I mean, he, he got hurt towards ACL, but um, he was off to a pretty good start. So he's he's one of the two reasons I joined the organization. The first reason being for our, to work for our owner in in St. Louis. Yes. And um, do you keep an eye on any of the news about land? purchases in the yeah. Southern California oh, yeah. area yeah, where you fact, went to yeah. where you went to college yeah yeah uh, I did as a matter of fact and um, you know I said earlier in the week that I wouldn't be surprised if he's purchased several other pieces of property between then and now because that's what he does and uh, it has no bearing on on uh, they're they're not connected I mean you know the, the commissioner spoke publicly on it uh, and they're not connected so Lastly, you enjoying the second go-round? Is this better for you? I love it, time? yeah. Yeah, I love it. I'm having a blast, yeah. I love our team. Uh, I love St. Louis. Our fan base is, you know, warming up, and, and they're getting excited about what we're doing. Okay. Thanks, Coach. All right, thank I you. Appreciate it. Okay. That's Jeff Fisher back on the uh, Rich Eyes podcast special here at the Combine. Interesting stuff right there out of Jeff Fisher. We got news, because I had not heard anywhere else, and we, we threw that out there on, the, on NFL.com right away. Uh, that Dean Blandino, the VP of officiating, would be able to, in real time, eavesdrop in on, chime in on, or overrule anything that he overhears in the discussion between replay official and uh, referee in the stadium, yeah, that's which a is a bridge, a bridge between what we have now and what I hope will eventually be a centralized replay system out of New York City. But I spoke to some head coaches at the Combine, who shall remain nameless, and... Um, they all, to a man, again, want to look the referee in the eyes and ask the referee why something was decided and that the referee is somebody who's part of the process. They need to look at somebody who's part of the process. That they was can't the biggest thing for me. They can't have some big brother or Blandino back in the league office 
do this. And they're like, listen, if we're going to train people to do this in the league office, we can't get 16 people to do it at the stadium. And he goes, and a lot of these people who are who are doing this thing are former officials anyway. Yeah. But that's not true. I also know some replay officials who have nothing to do with the NFL. But go in and on Sunday, go ahead and, and, and take part in a very important process, even though they are very conscientious people who know the rule book cold. To me, it's not just 16 people. There are 31 uh, stadiums because the Jets sure. and Giants share. I'm assuming the MetLife replay official is the same person every single week. Well, the other interesting thing I'm you brought assuming. up, because we brought up the hockey analogy, and he said it's not hockey. I mean, there's six guys on the ice in hockey, well, there's 11 on the football field, and then our times, like there's 10 games at one time at 1 o'clock In hockey, Eastern. what do they replay? They replay, did the puck pass the crease or not, right? And, and that's pretty much it. So it is, is it there is, anything else they replay in hockey? It is easy. I, I think they might be able sure. to look at a at, at like a high sticking or something if it if it was intentional. It's it's intent on a on a on a checking or high stick penalty. But uh, I was taken by Fisher being uh, conscientious of the possibility of re, uh, reviewing penalties, lengthening the game, and they well, definitely I don't sort want of that. I we went back and forth yeah. on it, and and that was a good exchange. My my point is is we don't extend the number of replay challenges that are out there. Don't touch that. But he does make the point that if you make everything reviewable, then the last two minutes every snap of the football is reviewable, and suddenly um, becomes, the NFL becomes college basketball. Well, I was going to say, or the NBA, where the last two minutes take 20. Forever. Yeah. yeah, college basketball's been tough to watch with all the O's. So I don't know what the gray area is there, because to me, like I said, every fan at home thinks every most fans at home think everything's reviewable anyway. And Navarro Bowman, they're going to fix that. What happened in the NFC Championship game where they said the problem was is that they didn't even, review, even call it on the field a turnover, yeah, which was... is a real big problem there. But they're going to fix that, that 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 if it is clearly a, a change of possession before the scrum and the guy goes down, that that should be reviewable. Uh, I, it's, just really, it's just really interesting to me that head coaches want replay from the stadiums. They want that there's a certain ebb and flow and a certain emotional aspect to the game that they want the replay official to feel they want and somebody, feel it's important. And I don't understand that. Yell at. They want somebody to yell at. Well, the other apparently, yes. And I, I, I'm. I think just having three people who know the rule book, Blandino and whomever he wants to have at his side, because you needed to have more than just one person. Blandino can do it in the playoffs because there's just one game. Yeah. Blandino can do it on Sunday and Monday nights. It's just one game. But during Sundays, as you know, we're watching games at the same time. There's Absolutely it happens uh, with frequency that there are two games stopped for replay at the same time. So uh, you, you need to have a proxy. Blandino can't be on two phones at the same time. And it, one game's not going to wait because, oh, I'm sorry, replay's going on in Jacksonville. So I'm sorry, Chicago, you need to sit there and wait till Dean's available. That can't happen. You can't put somebody on hold. So, but to me, it's 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 much easier to have just two or three people who take the responsibility of saying, "I am making this call because I am in New York City and I am an official of the NFL, and we're not going to have any more of these uh, apologies from the league in a yeah. press release two days later, because it's happening in real time. Period. End of story. And. It's much easier. It's much less room for error when you have just three people doing that 
as opposed to 31 individuals what or about, 32 individuals in who game, have different interpretations. In ga- like for television, you kind of know what's going on. For in-stadium fan experience, you might, you, whenever there's a TV timeout, you sometimes don't know what's going on unless you see the guy with the, the glove standing there. That, you know, when it goes back to New York, you at least see the ref under the hood and going there and kind of knowing I, I, it's still up. For I don't know. There's got to be, uh, and, and it's interesting to me, too, that they're going to flag for the N-word. Yeah, he, he alluded yards, to that in the beginning of the interview. 15 yards for the N-word, and a second time it happens, apparently an ejection. They're he's, not messing around anymore. Clean up, clean up the way we treat each other. Yeah, the respect thing for me, that was also uh, that was also nice to hear. Jeff Fisher of the uh, St. Louis Rams. One thing we didn't and, ask and, him. And again, Sam Bradford is their guy. And if Clowney goes first overall to Houston, and they don't take a quarterback, and all three quarterbacks – are on the board when less need when less oh. need and Jeff Fisher and the Rams are up number two overall and they swear it's Sam Bradford's their guy. If all three quarterbacks are available with Jacksonville, Cleveland, and Oakland next, I mean that will be open for business in the draft that night if Clowney goes first. Well, and obviously if the other two quarterbacks are available um, and Clowney's available at two, what do the Rams do? What a fascinating draft setup that is right now, as you could already see it. And one of the quarterbacks available in this draft is Blake Bortles, and he sat down with us too. Please be joined on the Rich Eisen Combine special by the American Athletic Conference Offensive Player of the Year, man who holds uh, scores of records at the University of Central Florida, Blake Bortles. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. You bet. So uh, a lot of people are throwing the term around first overall pick in regards to you, Blake, how does that hit you? Yeah, um, very surreal. Um, You know, an honor that is, uh, you know, uh, the guys in in previous years that have gone number one, um, you know, there's one of those guys each year. And uh, I think it's such a special honor and it's something that I'm definitely striving for, um, just like many other guys out out there are. Well, you've you've heard how people are connecting the dots, right? I mean, George O'Leary is your coach. Mm -hmm. He's a mentor to Bill O'Brien who's, uh, if I may say so, tail you kicked earlier this year at yeah. Penn State. Is that a proper use of that terminology? Uh, it was, it was, I'd say it was closer than a, than a tail kicking. Okay, but you did very well against Penn State, so he's already put you through the eyeball test. Do you think there is any validity in connecting Yeah, I don't dots? know. Um, you know, I'm sure he'll do um, – you know, what he thinks is best and what that organization feels best um, for them is. Uh, Whether it's me or not, you know, they're going to make that decision. But um, I think it definitely does help being able to play against him um, up at Penn State, you know, having some connections to to Coach O'Leary. But um, ultimately, you know, I think he'll do what what he thinks is best for for the Houston Texans. Who interviewed you at the Combine? Interviewed you, sat you down? Uh, I have not done any um, formal interviews yet. Done the just the train station informal kind of round robin thing. Okay. So what do, you, what do you attribute your success to, Blake? Because, I, I, you know, we've, we've seen Bridgewater on a lot of Thursday nights, even though you did take care of him this year, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny Manziel, Heisman Trophy winner. You're more of a, a mystery to the greater American football, certainly professional football landscape. What, what, what do you owe your success to? Um, I think a lot of things, um, you know, really motivate me and have been a reason for my success. You know, I think putting a chip on my shoulder, not getting recruited out of high school, um, wanting to prove people wrong, wanting to show them what what I could do, what they missed out on, um, and then all the people that have helped me along the way, um, coaches, um, players that were older than me, 
uh, all through UCF have, have been a huge help in, in making me who I am today. So why were you not recruited? I don't know. I wish I knew because um, I would have fixed it in a heartbeat. You know, I threw with the best kids in high school at all the camps and, and thought I was doing everything they were doing. Um, you know, I was 6'4", 220, uh, could move around a little bit. But uh, something was, was clearly missing because nobody really pulled the trigger. Had two offers to play quarterback and two offers to play tight end. Who played? Who offered you quarterback? Um, UCF and, uh, and Colorado State offered me real late. And who offered you a tight end And Tulane and Purdue offered me to play tight end. So you just decided, I'm going to stick close to home and play quarterback. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to play tight end. Quarterback was, was uh, you know, what I had made my mind up on doing, and that's what, you know, I wanted my future to be in. And, um, you know, I was very grateful to have the opportunity to stay close to home and, and play for Coach O'Leary and have my family right there just down the road. So what did O'Leary bring out of you, do you think? A lot. I learned a lot playing for Coach O'Leary. really enjoyed it. Uh, he's got that old school mentality, um, you know, can really get into you. Uh, but, you know, we had what, what I felt was, was a great relationship. You know, I was able to talk to him. We could talk football. We could talk life um, and, and really learned a lot from playing under him and, and enjoyed every second of it. So who from the next level have you leaned on other than obviously uh, your coaches? Yeah, just former players um, up to this point that have gone through this process already. Uh, guys like Bruce Miller and Latavius Murray um, had the chance to talk to, to Brandon Marshall and, and Mike Sims Walker and guys like that that have, have gone through the combine, have gone through pro day and gone through this whole process because that's my main focus right now to get ready for the draft and, and really be the best that I can be on, on May 8th. Have you spoken to Culpepper at all? Dante um, I talked to him right when the season was over um, and he had you know good words of encouragement. You know, First of all, you know, congratulating on the season and, and the best of luck, but haven't talked to him since. What about Brandon Marshall? What did he tell you? You know, he said, you know, this process is, is kind of crazy. You know, go through it, um, stay level-headed, uh, keep working hard, and, and good things will come, and, and make sure that, that you know, you're, you do everything. You, you turn over every stone by the time the draft comes, and, and you're not looking back saying, well, I wish I would have done this, I wish I would have done that. So who do you model yourself after? Um, I think there's a couple guys. I grew up, I was, a, I was a big Packer fan. Brett Favre was my hero. So uh, I think the toughness and passion that he played the game with is something that I tried to take from him. Uh, physically, I'd say Ben Roethlisberger and Andrew Lug, big athletic guys that can move the pocket, um, you know, can, can extend plays and make off-platform throws. Uh, and then mentally, of course, Tom Brady and, uh, and Peyton Manning, you know, the, the two best guys in, in the world at, at doing what they do, controlling the tempo, controlling the game, controlling the defense, um, so good at at running no-huddle offenses and, and being successful. So that's one day, um, you know, definitely what, what I want to do and believe I can do. Um, Peyton Manning, Brady, Favre, Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, those are no slouches. No, there, not at all. I mean, how, how, how confident are you in, in the ability that if, you, if the Houston Texans do take a look at you yeah. and consider you, how confident are you that you can go in September for a franchise like the Houston Texans and succeed. There's not a doubt in my mind. Um, you know, I 100% believe that. No, I mean, there's no question. I need help, uh, need coaching. Um, you know, going to have to go in and learn a lot and absorb a lot of information. But, but I believe I'm able to handle that. Um, you know, played in the kind of a pro-style offense in college and was able to handle a lot of offense, a lot of uh, responsibilities. Um, so I definitely believe that I can do that uh, with a lot of help and a, a lot of learning and, and dedication, which is something I'm definitely going to put into it. So is that a way of saying that you're you're worth six million Googles yourself? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you could because say that. Because I've heard that. I've heard that in regards to you and or somebody well-associated with yeah. you. Yeah, I don't know like, if it was me that had six million Googles, but uh, 
I think I know somebody that did. Your girlfriend. Are you ready for the fame that the NFL is going to bring? And also, obviously, your girlfriend has been thrown into the mix. Right. Yeah, she's well. uh, she's good about it. Um, gets it. You know, the whole kind of spotlight thing. Um, but you know, we're kind of handling it day by day. Got the blinders on right now. Okay. So uh, I think we'll kind of, you know, when the draft day comes, we'll kind of kind of take it all in and say, wow, this is this is awesome. This is surreal. Yeah. It seems like right now you're just trying to take everything in with the combine and clearly what you've done here and moving forward. Yeah. That it's something that that you're sort of getting used to right, still. Right, right, yeah. That's a legitimate way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of, you know, I had it, my goals, you know, kind of drawn out in segments. Um, you know, I, I like to set goals and work backwards to today and, and then how you achieve that main goal. And, uh, you know, right now I'm in the process of a, of accomplishing my goal is, is being the, handling the combine the best. You know, everybody talks about adversity and how tedious this process is, and, and being the best guy at dealing with it. So, you know, that's that's my goal right now to is to be here and, and be myself and impress these teams, and and then I'll, I'll go back out to California and start working on on my next goal. We'll stop by NFL Network when you're out there. In I'll be out there. You invite me over. I'll I'm inviting by. you over, and if there's anybody else um, that you'd care to bring with you, yeah, um, uh, worth. Oh, say six million Googles. Yeah. Um, please, we'll, we'll have another chair there as well. But if you want to come by yourself, too, like you're, 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 you're more than welcome to yeah. do that. Yeah, I'll see, I'll see uh, what her schedule looks like. Yes, please. You know, just, <laughs> I, I'm not, no pressure. Uh, but if you want to come, you know, solo, that's, that's cool. Okay. We'll, we'll welcome you. Glad there. I'm invited. You bet. That's Blake Bortles, known at the Combine as QB1 here on the Rich Eisen Combine special. Blake Bortles, everybody. And I'll tell you what, he, he, um, he, had a, a long day. He was dead on his feet when he walked in the door. It was it was around five in the afternoon. Yep. On a day that he woke up at three thirty in the morning, he said for a four a.m. drug test. Wow. And he said he strolled down five minutes at three fifty five, and there were already fifty prospects there for the drug test. And he he thought he was you know he showed up early and he saw fifty guys there and he was just like. Oh. And as I told him, I'm like, I guess everybody wants to be drafted by the Giants yeah, because coffee. five minutes early is <laughs> that's on time. That's right. But. You just give you an idea. That's four in the morning. He's peeing in a cup, and then off you go. And he, I mean, that was, our interview was at five fifteen Friday night. He had to be back at, at. He was doing the mooch grease board after us, where they they go on the whiteboard and they break it down. He had to be back at his hotel at six for more for interviews, interviews. Six to eight p.m. And then he was on the field two days. Wait, that was Friday. Two days later, he competed Sunday. Yeah, so two days later. I mean, that's not a lot of time to. It's a really busy medical, weekend for Medical, these kids. medical. They're all in the hospital. They're all going from poked one room to the other, poked and yep. prodded. How many MRIs. guys do we see have stress fractures in their foot that couldn't compete? Well, how about, yeah. How, which, uh, was it there was Truitt? Truitt, the Ward, Jimmy Ward. Yeah, but Truitt was, Truitt was the one who had a... Uh, Stephon Truitt? Yeah, who had a, a broken foot he didn't know or something like yeah. that. Oh, the D ta- yeah, the D-tackle, the big uh, Notre Dame defensive yeah. tackle. They're like, by the way... Your foot's broken. You need surgery. And he's like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> D. Ford. Yeah, D. D Ford, Ford they're too. like, yeah. You had a problem with some herniated disc surgery a few uh The uh, tight few end, months Austin ago. Sefren Jenkins. And he's like and they're like, You can't you you can't go out there. He's like, What? Yeah, I've people. heard stories about at the combine where they're like, you know, you broke your uh, you broke your leg back in high school. No, I didn't. And they'd pull out the MRI and go, Yeah, you did. See that thing right there? That's about three or four years old. <laughs> that happened probably when you were about uh, 16, 17. And they're like, huh? What? I'm telling you, man. Everyone's talking about due diligence left, right, up, and down. It's on. I mean, you can't. I mean, it is 
on. And it's a ten million dollar investment. And, it's a but here's the thing: is you could sit here and do medical X Y Z, but the deal with Clowney and Manziel between the lines, man, it's the what's in the chest. What beats in the chest? How do you kick the tires on that? Can't right? You can't. And it's, it's when just, the whistle blows on Sunday. That's why I love Manziel, and that's why all the off yeah, the field you, stuff I, and you the can't measurables. Equate, I don't equate like, Manziel and Clowney the same though, because Clowney wouldn't suit up. Manziel suits up and plays, and when he's in between the lines, right? But well, what are you Clowney, talking about? Clowney, Clowney suits up. He took. He didn't. He before game and pregame warmups, the coaches thought he was great, and he said, "I can't go. I'm not going." And didn't play the game. Well, here's the thing, too. It's like he, he clearly even said it on the con- – after he hit uh, Vincent Smith of Michigan, that was it. That was his walk-off moment. That's yeah. it. He's ready for the draft. He had a whole year to go. He just couldn't do it because of the rules. And you could sit here and go, you should go, and you, you've got a year in college, and it's you never get that back, and you need to go full motor. But if you're He's not motivated – Listen, and if you're not motivated to do that for Steve Spurrier right in South Carolina, then you have every we have every right to question whether you're going to do that once you get paid in the NFL, and certainly if you get your second contract, what's going to happen? It's your fellow teammates; those are the guys you have the real. Maybe so, maybe so, maybe so. But that's why I'm going back and forth. What does he care? Clearly, and 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 he gives off the impression too. You know, D. Ford called said that the right. film was. He looks like a blind dog in a meat market. And they're out there hugging. And they're out there hugging. Yeah, we're boys. And I, I, I even said on the air, I don't get that. I don't get that. And part of me looks at Clowney, and I'm like, sure, it, you're, everything is easy to you. Life is great. Good for you, man. And this is your big moment. That's great. And you let everything roll off your back and. But when it's time to play and go hunt the quarterback, you're a beast. I understand. I just sort of want to see. I like the red asses at that position, yeah. right? Oh, the yeah. hackles get up. Yeah, all the Especially great, all the defense. great quarterback hunters right. have an attitude. Exactly. And he's like, "Yeah, D four, oh, it's fine. Yeah, you know, I know that I've got red flags about my work ethic, so I'm, I'm just not gonna work out here. I'll run the forty. And I'll jump, and then I'll tell you my hip flexors hurt, and then I'll still jump 37 and a half inches. I don't know. Do you look at that and say that's a red flag and don't draft him? When you can, if you're the Houston Texans, put him in a meeting room with J.J. Watt, who will oh, tell him exactly man. how to be a professional if, he does, if, if Clowney does need that information, and put him on a defensive line with J.J. Watt in a division where you know, we know, the three of us sitting here knows, Bill O'Brien, who who I'm sure hopes is in Houston the rest of his career, he knows. Rick Smith, the general manager, knows. The McNair family knows. Andrew Luck is in their way for at least another decade. At least. In that division. So how do you beat him? Yeah. Put him on his ass. J.J. Yep. Watt and Clowney on the same line? You have – they currently right now – 100% have that opportunity to do that if they so choose. How do you kick the tires on Clowney, though, I between thought, now it, and then? Was it you that countered when I listened back to some of your guys' coverage and I got back to the hotel because it was re-airing, and Dion was saying this kid is the number one recruit in the nation out of high school. He was the number one recruit in, in the nation in college. He's the number one prospect in the draft. And I think it was you that said – but he was relying on his talent. But what does that? Because when you get I, the NFL, asked, I said, "What does that have to do with his work ethic?" Yeah, 
with wondering about his work ethic, Dion. What is that? It has nothing to do with that. I'm asking about when you pay him, when you make him the first overall pick in the well, draft, what happens work. now? Right. What happens next? Will six sacks be enough for him? For the greats. For the greats, greed is good. You've got 12 is great, 13 is better. 13 is great, 14 is better. That's what the greats do. Yeah. Does he have that within him? He Shouldn't he hills? tell D Ford to go f- himself put that down shouldn't he tell him that yeah, well, or, is, I, or am i just from why, a different generation already hug? am i from a different generation already at age 44 no where, I, I why, don't think so why would you just look at him and, well we're we're boys huh huh this is this is a guy who's saying he's better than you right. this he, is a guy who's saying that you suck and then you're hugging it out in midfield so so strange to me this is money if you're not the first overall pick, you're the second overall pick. That's money. But your boys, I don't see. That's I didn't get that. And Manzel, I, I have no idea, man. But we knew that. We talked about it when it happened with the Manning passing camp. We talked about it when we, we saw about him at TMZ. We talked about it. All we year. talked about it. You know, w- w- with the autograph stuff. Yep. That right now we're going to be talking about that, and when the right now has arrived. One thing I do, do you make him the first overall pick? He's owned all this stuff. He hasn't sh- he hasn't shied away from it. Like at his press conference, he came out, he addressed it, said he was seeking, you know, he has is getting help for his drinking and and seeing somebody a, a counselor about that. Or is he just a guy who's going to get his ass handed to him because he's not that big? Or is he a guy that could be the next Russell Wilson? I do hope. I'm kind of in Brockman's camp. Where I just, oh, you're I coming hope, around now. I hope he crushes it. I hope he, he's of fun. course he's excited. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He's the most exciting college player I've ever seen. Well, you heard what uh, Switzer had to say. I mean, Switzer's comments were, were not light. I mean, he called him called him a, a, essentially what Bruce Dern called uh, our guy uh, J- uh, Jack, Jack Youngblood. Youngblood. Uh, Jaw said he wouldn't even take him in the first three rounds. Yeah, I think which that's I clicks. Think I think is I, that's beyond nuts. Uh, first yeah. three rounds? That's You're the- sitting out. <laughs> I mean, I mean you're sitting out there, 80th overall, that, and Manziel's on the board. That's Jaws Let's not take him. Look at Barkley. I've got a fourth-round grade on him. It's a reach in the third round. Are it's you awful. kidding me? It's awful. It's awful. I was right that. I'm like, what? Yeah, you got to drive, drive clicks to I mean, just Look at this draft the, order. Cycle. Look at the draft order. Like I said, St. Louis is sitting there, and – they could get pretty much anybody they want and call and anybody calls them up they could move down let's say i don't know minnesota at 8 they love one of these quarterbacks they Ooh. pop up they swap Ooh. their first round draft pick for next year's draft and Les gets another one Ooh. another draft with two first round draft picks what he won't drop down from 2 to 8 where he, and yes. mayock said it himself Mayock said himself, before we get to Thomas Dimitrov, who makes these decisions. Who's got the number six, six pick. overall pick. And who needs some linemen, and there's some talented linemen in this crew. Mayock said the three quarterbacks in this year's draft at the top, including our, our previous guest you know, in Bortles, the three quarterbacks are better than E.J. Manuel and Geno Smith or have a higher upside than those guys last year. The three top quarter uh, linemen that were taken last year, Lane Johnson, Luke Jokel, Eric Fisher, this year's trio of Jake Matthews, Greg Robinson, Taylor Lewan, better than those three that went in the top three, four picks last year because yep. there were no quarterbacks like Bridgewater, Bortles, or Manziel available. Then we're talking Clowney. You're talking Sammy Watkins. You're talking Khalil, Khalil Mack. Mack. Right. You're talking that Mayock about said he would take number one overall. Justin Gilbert. 
who looked phenomenal. Oklahoma Lightning State fast. Defensive back, yeah. Denard. I was impressed with him. Denard DeQuez out of Michigan State. They weren't liking his hips, but... DeQuez Deon- Denard. DeQuez Denard. Denard. Oh, okay. Look, there's a long week, as we said. We but. knew coming in, though, that this draft was going to be absolutely loaded. And you're right. If Clowney goes number one, if Houston grabs him, it's going to get crazy. Starting with the second pick. Six, what are we, 68, nine days? It's not soon enough. Can't wait. Bart Scott voice. Can't wait. Let's go to TD. Pleased to have here on the Rich Eisen podcast special from the Scouting Combine, a man who's been on this podcast the last two years for our Scouting Combine coverage, the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons, Thomas Dimitrov. Good to see you, Thomas. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. This is sort of like a, uh, an annual ritual now, except now we're doing this face-to-face. And so yeah. now I can't put you on speakerphone. That's true. You did that <laughs> the first time we interviewed. You, you speakerphoned me, which is... Which is in in this world, um, big timing. It's it's sort of like a big time thing that you do. You, do you speakerphone people often? Do you do that sort of thing often? No, I'm pretty mindful of that. Okay, good. Now you are. Yes. Okay. Every once in a while, just to make you feel comfortable, yeah. I will speakerphone our owner Arthur Blank. Oh. But but the problem is with him, I make sure that I let him know, and I didn't you. So oh. in my admission, I, I apologize. That's, no, but you can tell. You know the the echoes and will be had but it's it's good to have you here in person Great. at the scouting combine now that we are through 2014's indianapolis stint here uh in february what what do you do with the information that the atlanta falcons and the rest of your staff has gleaned from the combine we have we we had gathered so much information from that from that visit you know in indianapolis it's so great from the standpoint of watching the players on the field as we've talked about mm-hmm. at so many levels judging the athleticism and the movement and what i've always referred to as urgent athleticism to all the medical information that we have to all the 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 photos the still photos that we have of these individuals to all the information that we have through the interviews we pull all of this information together, and then we start to sort of compartmentalize all that information and put it in the right spot so that when we come back to our reports, when we come back to discussing certain players, we're able to quickly um, access that information. Again, there's so much information that we glean from this. Does your board change now? Does no question. It no does. Question. It changes, and yet we're very mindful of not changing drastically. Mm-hmm. But there will be movements up and down, and quite honestly, as much as we don't want to talk about it and we don't want the agents to hear about it, when someone truly runs a horrible 40 time, mm-hmm. it's amazing how quickly a player can plummet. Just a 140-yard dash? It's, it's amazing. One of the guys last year that we, we acquired through the draft was, was uh, Zeke Mata from Notre Dame. Uh, your guy Mike Mayock loved him, mm-hmm. and he didn't run a good time at the combine, unfortunately. We, we drafted him in the seventh round. There's no way he should have been a seventh rounder. He fell quite a bit, and we like what we have in him now. Some people just don't run good good times. You know, they're not good forty time guys, but they play a lot faster. So here you are using an example of how a guy dropped because of a forty, and yet he's a football player that's more than useful to the Atlanta Falcons organization. So why read so much into somebody's forty yard dash? We talk about it all the time, and, and the league is a matchup league, and that part of the matchup is so important. You could have the most athletic and smooth fluid individual running routes, catching balls, doing whatever, but if they can't stay in phase, meaning they can't stay with that player, mm-hmm. whether that's a defensive back and a receiver, whether it's an O-lineman mirroring a D-lineman, they have no chance in this league. So from a speed standpoint at his position, it's very important for him to have range and uh, people pass him up. There are those situations, however, where mm-hmm. guys are football and game speed fast and not on the clock. So how do you determine who those people are? 
you know, you use examples and you take sort of video of guys in suits and business shoes or whatever you've done over the years and yeah. you watch the movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, you watch how people move. I'm referring to you. I know exactly what you're referring I, to. You know, I, I, I feel good about myself, you know, and how, what, I've, what I've been able to do and accomplish in, in a very short uh, ten-year period. And you uh, should, Thomas. Thank you. you I you've, appreciate you've that. You've made some major strides. Strides, yes. They're small strides, <laughs> you know, literally. <laughs> Nevertheless. Yes. Yep. But but when you take a look at a player yep. uh, from the combine, and we hear about it's just a piece of the overall picture, no question that the Atlanta Falcons board coming into Indianapolis is different than the way it's coming out of Indianapolis. Don't let anyone tell you that that the the combine is just you know are is happen to be drills on, mm -hmm. on on grass and in shorts. I believe that you can glean so much information out of this, and and it's not obviously you're not going to see the contact element of football. You will see how these guys match up athletically, movement wise, against some of the best. That juxtaposing ability physically, uh, you don't get a chance to do that anywhere. You don't get a chance to do it even even in a in a setting at, like the Senior Bowl, as good as I think the Senior Bowl is for us. The combine gives us an opportunity to see these guys, player after player, you know, to compare their to compare their skills, to compare their movement, the on-field skills. Well, what about the great debate we're having this every year now about the top of the quarterback food chain? You don't have to worry about that at the combine this year. You got your guy Matt Ryan, but when there are guys who come through, Andrew Luck didn't compete here. He did do everything. He just didn't throw. Um, he went number one overall anyway. This year. More some quarterbacks coming in here who aren't even considered number one overall decided not to participate in the throwing drills because it might hurt them. What do you say about the importance of seeing the top quarterbacks compete here in the throwing drills, Thomas? As much as I want to say the combat is so important for us to assess and determine the in this situation, the strength of a quarterback's arm, the, the pure mechanics of it, the how he moves around to get away from the center, so to speak. We'd love to see that. We're, we're creatures of comfort, as you know. The last thing we want to think is we walk away from the combine and speak to our bosses. It doesn't matter if it's an owner for me or if it's, if it's our scouting staff who I ask a question about that they're not walking away with as much information that they have to be able to give an assessment. That's tough for us. The reality is, as much as I hate to say it, those top, those top guys, we know we're going to see them in the, in the pro days. We know we're going to visit them time and time again. Uh, that's going to happen. So though we don't get everything here, uh, we'll get as much as we can. And it's unfortunate. We'd love to see them throw, but we'll, we will evaluate them again. But those guys who don't throw for you physically here, are there people in the scouting community or the NFL community who are offended because they're here? And, and it's their time to see and evaluate, and a player is essentially saying, no, no, that's your turf. I'm not going to compete on your turf. I'm going to wait for my turf where it's best for me, receivers I know, in a drill that I control. Is that an issue, do you think? From a business standpoint, you can understand where they're coming from. I know there's that crusty, respectfully, that crusty element of the scouting world who are, are agitated by it. They don't understand what's going on. I think from a, if we step back from a big picture standpoint, you understand the merits of being comfortable in your own setting, especially a quarterback that's about ready to make you know, millions and millions of dollars and could change 
you know, his life and his family for posterity? And is it really worth it in their minds to not throw as well as they should? Well, I go back and forth on it personally from my, um, the, I guess, selfish standpoint is I'm a guy who's up there on NFL Network calling the action, for the lack of a better phrase. I, I would love to see Johnny Manziel spin it. I mean, that would be great for our ratings and, hope what, and it's great for the NFL. And I also understand that he wants to, if I was going through a business interview, I'd want to be in my own space as opposed to sitting in a boardroom with a bunch of people I've never met before, just to use that phrase. Mm -hmm. But also, it's a fourth quarter of a National Football League game. There's nothing, you can't control that environment. When it all comes down to it, mm -hmm. you're going to have to spin it. And so I, that's the sort of aspect of not competing fully at a combine that I have a problem with when it all comes down to it. Because you can't control what happens on a Thursday night or a Sunday or a Monday it's a in great, the NFL. It's a great point, and it's one we, we talk about, and there's so much banter in a room about that. And yet, in the very end, it's once they feel, at least this is my understanding, once they get drafted, if, if they can maximize that draft uh, spot, because as we all know, I mean, two, three, and four is much different than six, seven, and eight. And for them, this is part of that process. And I have some very good uh, relationships with a lot of agents in this league, and I know where they're going with it. It's unfortunate because in the ideal world, we'd love to see them all spin the ball, mano a mano against each other, back to my earlier point here, to see how they truly stand up against everyone else. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. We know that. It's going to be up and down. So let's talk about your Falcons right now. Um, for the lack of a better way to put it, what in the world happened with the Falcons last year? Oh, uh, wow. I mean, 4-12. and 12. You know, you think about that. Going from 13-3 and three to 4-12, and 12, what, a, what an incredible decline. We know that. Someone mentioned that was like an historical decline. Um, I believe there were a number of things that were going on with our season, and, and no one wants to complain about the injuries. Everyone's dealt with injuries. Interestingly enough, I felt we were handling the injuries to a spot and then when Julio went down, we dropped into a pit that we weren't able to pull ourselves out of. That was unfortunate. That was something that was definitely disheartening to me because I thought, I thought our resiliency and, and our ability to do something like that was much stronger given the five, six, and seven-year talent that we had versus the earlier years when we only had first and second-year guys. So that was tough. I also said, and I've said this publicly, um, I really believe that it was a misassessment uh, and a misevaluation of the readiness of that offensive line to come together for Matt. Because in the end, yes, we still have stuff we need to do on our D-line. If we're not protecting the guy spinning the ball, to our point earlier here, how important that is, we're not going to be that prolific offense, and we're not going to be an elite football team. So we didn't protect him properly. Matt was not able to step up in the pocket and throw I thought he did a, an admirable job dealing with what he had to. He, he was waylaid many, many times, as you know, but he's such a fantastic leader, happy with how he responded. Well, uh, Tony Gonzalez, your now former officially tight end, now that he's with CBS Sports, um, made a headline or two by saying that Matt Ryan is not an elite quarterback. He says he's almost there. How do you respond to that? Thomas. I respond that we all have different definitions of elite. We've talked about that, and quite honestly, we talked about that when we were negotiating Matt's contract. You know, with with uh, uh, you know our good friends from CAA, Ben Dogger and Tom Conan. It was about how are we really defining elite? In the end, uh, you know, I think I, I believe that Tony has the utmost respect for Matt. The way that they 
they uh, interact in the locker room and, and the expectations from each other and their friendship and their relationship. Tony made a statement and you know his statement as I understand was there's the three or four that are at the true top and that's his definition of elite. Some of our definitions of elite have a lot more to do with maybe the top seven or eight um, and, and, and in my mind Matt definitely falls into an elite category. So do you still consider the Falcons a, a contender for the, the NFC despite the, the four win season last year? I've said this, Rich, I really, I really believe that we can clean this up quickly, I believe, with some adjustments. I have said my goal is to rectify with a vengeance, man. Let's, let's, let's get after it. We, we've added people in our, in our department, as you know, Scott Pioli, Billy Devaney, uh, Russ Bollinger, a new scout. We, we've changed some coaches that were very important changes. Now's the time for us to really look at where we are to calibrate our roster. That's, you know, that's going to be a, a fun, respectfully fun part of this as well. Now, uh, it's a copycat league, as we all know. Last year we were talking about at the Combine about the, uh, the uh, two-way threat at the quarterback position after what we saw Colin Kaepernick did and RG3 had a great season and everyone's talking about it. Everyone wants that Russell Wilson had a great first year. What is everybody talking about right now based off of Seattle's win? How do you think that will manifest itself moving forward after the combine, getting ready for the draft and next season? Well, I think that's a very balanced football team, as we know. It wasn't just relying on offense and, and how they approached the game. It wasn't just relying on that very tough and aggressive defense that they had. I mean, hats off to, to Pete Carroll and, and John Snyder, how they put the team together. So people are talking about that. They're realizing that you don't always have to have the star player at every position. We all know in this league, this is my understanding and my feeling about it, there are those marquee five or six players on your team that are the, the legit difference makers. You have a whole bunch of other guys that are big time role type of players, still starters, but have their, their, their roles in the organization to help be a successful and championship caliber football team. And I think they've done a marvelous job in Seattle with how they've pieced all of those players together. And they, they all fit, fit well together, and they fit under that umbrella for, for Pete's approach. And lastly, uh, Michael Sam, you, you came out, made a statement um, about how uh, his sexuality does not matter, that you're going to evaluate him as a football player, and you uh, gave him appropriate kudos for making the announcement that he did. Uh, several unnamed colleagues of yours, however, thought that the NFL was not ready for this type of player. Uh, to come out. Can you sort of walk me through why this might be an issue in the NFL? I know it's not an issue to you, mm -hmm. but do you think after the combine and, and hearing what your colleagues might be saying that this truly could be an issue? Do you think that that's possible in the NFL? It's interesting because as I mentioned, I have uh, we and as an organization, the Falcons and I have the utmost respect for the courage of an individual like Michael Sam to, to to make an announcement like that. I understand from the standpoint of all the banter and discussion about, okay, now what's next? Are we truly ready as, as, a, as a league? And I think more and more people, the more and more people I talk to about this, they realize that there is this evolution of acceptance in society now that we're very fortunate to be a part of. It wasn't 50 or 60 years ago or 100 years ago. So I think people are becoming, um, you know, more uh, aware of that acceptance. Mm -hmm. Now, 
it, time, time will tell from the standpoint of how an organization is going to accept change. And uh, Michael Sam is to be evaluated as a player, as a person, and as, you know, again, the upside, the potential that he has in this league. That's where it should, that's where it should be. And that's, what, that's how we evaluate any football player. It doesn't matter what their sexual preference this will be this will be a really uh, this will be an interest, interesting off season and, and draft time for many many reasons. Michael Sam yes and, and other reasons as well. I just think this is an interesting spot in our in our league's growth. And so uh, reading into your comments about the Falcons' um, offensive line, I know I don't want you to show your cards here because obviously there's many weeks to go before this May draft. Offensive line is that would be uh, an an easy concept to target what you're you're looking at in the draft this year i you know i i i looked at many and we have looked at many positions and many many opportunities to look at free agency i've always said this you know that yeah, yeah. look free agency look at the draft see where we're where we can get the mm-hmm. best value and the best football player again no mystery that we need to to to, to fortify our both fronts that's going to be important for us so you look at O-line, and you look at D-line, you look at our linebackers. I mean, you can rush the passer as a linebacker as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can do certain things that are going to help protect our offensive uh, threat, i.e. Matt, uh, mm-hmm. Matt Ryan in many ways. But we know as, as well as anyone, if you don't have stoutness in front of a, a quarterback and you don't provide the pocket, um, you have little chance to be successful in this league. See, that's one of the many reasons why I love having you on, Thomas, is you – you strike a blow for all your colleagues out there who everybody believes is so full of it at this time of year that 100% that comes out of a general manager's mouth is all spin and totally trying to throw people off the scent. You're an honest man, and I appreciate you doing that, TD. I really Thank do. You. you bet. Appreciate Thanks for coming you. on. As always. That's Thank Thomas you. Dimitrov, the general manager, now in eighth year. Eighth year in that position. Incredible. For the Atlanta Falcons, joining me here on the Rich Eisen podcast special. He's one of my favorite people I've met. He's very honest and very successful, and he's got a great head of hair. Great head of hair. That quad <laughs> is, is going up. He's got a great lid. I, you're but, right. I mean, he said some really fascinating I thought that was a things. fantastic interview. Great job. Great job, oh, Rich. thank you. I enjoyed that one, too. And, and the, the Michael like, Sam stuff was great. It's. I mean, we should talk about him real quick, I guess, then, too. Yeah. I mean, his workout was nothing uh, to write home much about. Still lots of time. A lot of time. A lot of time. You, pro you days, come, about a pro guy, days coming up. But he didn't help himself talk, on the football you, field. You talk about kicking the tires, though. He's one of those guys, a motor guy that has heart. And you watch his tape. I mean, that's all effort because you look at, at what he does at the combine. He doesn't have those. Hey, listen, it's what beats inside. And yep. he, he clearly has got a big, big heart. Yep. Yep. And uh, but I think what the combine certainly put to bed is what we attempted to put to bed on this show a couple weeks ago after Sam made his announcement and and then what we discussed on the air on Saturday after Sam met with the media. And and one day, you know, be there is also Jason Collins people believe that he he wants to be out in front of the cameras talking about this that that is important to him. Clearly you could see from Sam it is important to be known as an openly gay man. He clearly just—I don't think he wants to talk anymore. Yeah, and it just felt silly. It just felt silly at the press conference. Just hearing these questions, just silly. It's asked and answered. We move on. We move on, and we evaluate him on football. But four nine one, 
but he put up 17 reps in the weight and reps room. 17, yep. And 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 jumped 25 vertical uh, inches. That's that's 20, a, 21 maybe. No, it was 25, I think. Okay. That's what he was, by the way, a foot less than Clowney, a full foot. Yep. Well, Clowney only did 25, and they were saying that was low on the bench for yeah. Clowney. So. Well, the bench to me, and I, I take all my my cues from Mayock. The bench is 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 an indication of of your ethic, your work ethic, and long getting, arm. I mean, long, if you're getting yeah, sure, too. your arm length is it's difficult if you're long armed. If you're barrel chested and short armed, it's easier. But we all know that since we all put up reps of two twenty five all the time, several reps, several. But it was interesting what Thomas said about Michael Sam. That's just it's not even an issue anymore, right? To evaluators in the NFL, it's just not. And they all knew, by the way, before. Coming in, it wasn't any secret to the evaluators. Um, but it was an interesting chat again, just to give you a glimpse. We love lifting the hood to try and show you what the decision-making process is going to be and how draft boards are going to change now uh, based on what uh, what went down at the combine. And it's going to change again after pro days. It's going to change again after you take a come. Absolutely. Absolutely. If already, I'm the, already happening. If I'm right. the, by the way, if I'm the Rams, I'm sitting there saying, absolutely, Texans are taking clowning. Absolutely. Clowney's one of the greatest players we've seen. And we're going to scout him. We're absolutely looking at Jadavian Clowney. This is what, this is what, if I'm Les Snead and I'm the Rams, that's, I'm just, we love Clowney. We're doing our due diligence on Clowney. We're having Clowney in for a workout. But I don't know if we're going to get him. Do you like that? Does that sound good to you? Because good. that's what I mean. If I'm Les Snead, I look myself in the mirror and I say that every day. Every day. I want every quarterback available when I'm up there at 2. And if I don't get the if I don't get the deal I like, if I don't get the deal that I like, I have no problem taking Sammy Watkins, sticking him out there with Tavon Austin, and the rest of the they young got receiving Bailey crew. Last year, yep. Also, they they've set it running back. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't have a problem. Or taking Jake, any of these tackles. Jake to Matthews. Keep, we know the Matthews. lineage there yep. with Jeff Fisher. And yeah, his Jeff dad. Fisher. When Bruce, when Jeff Fisher took over the Houston Oilers in 1994. Bruce Matthews was there with a two-year-old son, Jake. I mean, he's he's he saw him in diapers, yep. Jeff Fisher. Now he could draft him to protect Sam Bradford. And you have to, who hasn't been healthy ever. Yeah. So. And that's the issue, too. The Rams can sit here and say that Bradford's the guy. But I, I you can hear already. It. You're already here already. If you cut Bradford and you draft one of these guys, you get, what, he, seven more million in the cap? He may be the guy, but what quarterback has come back from an ACL and done anything the next year? And a shoulder. Nothing. ACL yeah. and a shoulder. Mm. Intrigue. He's had rough breaks, but like yeah. you said, it's going to be fun. Unfortunately, you have to go into the edit bay for this interview. I'm I do. Told. I do. Okay. We'll tell you what this man says. Now let's get to uh, the segment everybody is waiting for. It's an annual tradition on the Rich Eisen podcast that started, I think, I think from the very first year that we were on the air, where uh, we call up one of our favorite people that we've ever met. And that's not the royal we. I'm talking about everybody at NFL Network, one of our favorite people we ever worked with, the uh, most prolific coach in the history, winning coach in the history of the New Orleans Saints, joining us here on the Rich Eisen podcast, the official movie expert of the show. Jim Mora. How are you, Coach? Hey, Rich, I'm doing great. Thanks for the nice uh, introduction there. The I don't uh, necessarily agree with all that, but I appreciate it very <laughs> you're, much. You're a I'm humble man. Great. You're a humble man, Coach Mora. You're a humble man. <laughs> thank, so thank how, are, how have you been? Let's let's start I've with that. It's been, been a while. I, yeah, I've been great. You know, I've been great. I uh, 
retired actually but you know i do some stuff during the season for the saints mm-hmm. uh, for a, for a, for the uh, nbc station down there wdsu whenever they're on uh, sunday night or monday night national tv i go down there and we do a four-hour pregame two-hour postgame show there on the uh, on, on the local nbc affiliate and so i stay in touch a little bit with the saints and get back to new orleans and Get to follow the NFL, but I'm doing good. Family's doing good. Everybody's yeah. doing good. Grandkids are good. Grandkids are good. I got ten of them, and they're all ten doing well. Ten of them. Ten yep. of them. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. They're all doing well. Fantastic. And and uh, your wife's great. Everybody's good. Connie's doing. Connie's good. good. She's sitting right here beside me. Oh. She's doing good. Okay. Well, tell her I said hello. Tell How her about I said your hello. Family. Oh, I've got too many children, Jim. I got no, too many don't. right now. <laughs> How many? <laughs> three of them. I've got three, but they're they're three, five, and under. A five, three, and a six month old. I didn't know you had that third one. Oh yeah, we went for the girl. My wife wanted her desperately. I'm like, okay, we'll try for her. Thank goodness, uh, she came out a girl. So good. Yes. Congratulations. You got the girl, and but she. I mean, if I sound like I'm dragging a little bit, um, it was it was a two hour excursion from about two thirty to four thirty this very morning. Oh yeah. really? Oh yeah. It was because uh, of the new one. Yeah, the new one was up. There's, you know, but the here. Listen, uh, it, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Well, you just got back from the combine, right? Yeah, I know, and I'm already, yeah. you know, and I'm dehydrated. I'm a little tight from the forty run, Jim. <laughs> even though it's been a few days, so well, your best time ever. I'm that's proud right. Of you. Thank you. You know, I only know one speed. You and that's slow. Only know one speed for the 40. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into the Oscars, and then I want to talk a little bit of football with you to, to okay. wrap things up here. I'm ready for you. What? Just how would you how would you rate this uh, this batch of Oscar nominated films compared to the previous years? Do you like them? I, I liked it. I I thought it was a good group. Uh, mm-hmm. Nine of them. I saw eight. I didn't see her. Okay, I'll have to admit that. To okay. You right away. Okay. But I saw the other eight. Okay. And uh, I liked them all pretty mm-hmm. much. Uh, uh, there was one that I there was one that I I didn't like so much that I I thought I would like, and that mm-hmm. was American Hustle. And you, uh, and you didn't like I, it. You didn't like I was a little it. So much. Disapp- I was a little disappointed in it. And uh, but the rest of them, uh, Philomena. Okay, maybe it was the mood I was in. I was impressed with uh, <laughs> the acting and all that, but uh, right. I thought it was a good group. I already did. I thought it was a good group. Now, what would you give? Remember our rating system for you. You're, right. This is one of the few places where you'll allow the whole diddly poo thing to actually be brought up again. But That's the whole right. the 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 American Hustle film zero diddly poos for the best it could be. And four diddly poos, if it's not good. Where would you put American Hustle on the diddly poo uh, ratings? Now what's, the, what's the best one diddly poo? No, zero diddly poos, where there's not a single diddly poo thing about That's it. That's the best one? I That's thought we best. reversed it. I thought it was four diddly poos is great. No, zero diddly poos oh, means it's great. I'm yeah. off. No, yeah, yeah, you're okay, off. Zero, okay, diddly poo is bad. Right. You're, D- you're yeah, right. Poo, that's I mean, not good. So correct. So zero diddly poo. Where would I put American Hustle? Yeah. And four is the worst? Four is the worst. Zero is the Three. best. Three. Really? Yeah. I I liked it though, Jim. I thought it was I, uh, fun. You know. I thought it was fun. I thought it at the very least, you know, it, it grabbed the period very well. I thought the acting was great. I loved looking at the ladies in that film. Right. I'm well, not me too. gonna lie. I liked that. that was the best part of it for me. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, a- Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence were great actresses. They nailed their roles. They chewed some scenery, and they were fantastic to look at. So I, I, I could give it a two plus. I mean, two, okay. two plus something. So I talked you into it. I talked you into taking off a Disney. Yeah, a little boot. bit, a little okay. bit. You can go half, you two and a half. Talking about Amy and go- Jennifer. Yeah, you talked me into it. <laughs> All right. So I don't want to. I don't want you to tip your hand. on what you're going to go for. So here's what we're going to do. I think the list that I gave you was best picture, best actor in supporting, best actress in supporting, best director. I also gave you best... um, Screenplay? Screenplay, adapted and original. I believe that's what I gave you. Did you give me foreign film? Yeah, Yeah, I gave you you foreign film as well. So let's start with what the Oscars normally does, and that's best supporting actor and actress. Let's start with that, with Jim Mora giving us his Oscar picks, and uh, you normally nail these things. So, best actor in a supporting role, uh, Barkhad Abdi of Captain Phillips, Bradley Cooper of American Hustle, Michael Fassbender of 12 Years a Slave, Jonah Hill, The Wolf of Wall Street, and Jared Leto of Dallas Buyers Club. Jim Mora. And the Oscar goes to... Jared Leto. Of Dallas Buyers Club. Dallas Buyers Club. I thought he was outstanding. What did you think of the film, Dallas? Buyers I love the film. It was one of my favorite films. If I had to pick maybe the top two or three, it was one of, it was one of my favorite films. That was sneaky good. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I really Dallas liked Buyers I, I like Matthew McConaughey, you know. I, I don't know. It was just a, I thought it was an excellent film, just the whole story, the whole jo- Well, Jonah Hill was good in The Wolf of Wall Street, too. And I, thought, I liked it. Let me tell you what now. that I, I really liked that movie, too, and I thought he was outstanding. Yep. But what, I mean, that was off the charts. Some of the things yeah, in, the that, charts, yep. in that movie, I mean, yep. uh, that was, that was, that, that would make any, that would make a pro blush, you know? You know, you know that, what? I, yeah. I have friends that walked out, and, and yet Connie and I both really liked it. I, I, I really enjoyed it. From well, it's long. It was, it was almost three oh. hours. It, it may, it, it just, it, it's something you just sit there and like it. You know what I mean? You just enjoy it. I thought it was the Goodfellas of, you know, sex and drugs, where Goodfellas right. was about, you know, violence and the mob. This was about money and sex and drugs, the Goodfellas. I'm not sure that was realistic, and that really happened with that guy and, and his I'm told some of those scenes were, were exactly what happened. But in the oh story, God. but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know the way people could live. Oh, so Jared Leto, according to Jim Mora, is the yeah. winner of Best Actor in a Supporting Role. And I'd probably go with Jonah Hill second. Okay. I loved Michael okay. Fassbender. I think he is a Good. great actor. And I thought 12 Years a Slave, uh, we'll go into that when, when we get to Best Picture, Best Director, obviously. But he was really a mean SOB yep. in that yep. movie and totally yep. believable. Yep, you know, but okay, but Jared Leto was incredible. He just transformed himself to into another human being. Yeah, amazing what he did. Yeah. Okay. Best actress is in a supporting role: Sally Hawkins for Blue Jasmine, uh, Jennifer Lawrence for American Hustle, uh, Lupita Nyong'o of Twelve Years a Slave, Julia Roberts of August Osage County, and June Squibb of Nebraska. And the Oscar yeah, goes not, to. I did not see. I did not see August Osage County, so I. I'm eliminating Julia Roberts. Okay. Uh, okay. I heard from people that, that that didn't like it. I I liked June Squibb. I thought she was really funny in Nebraska. Uh, of course, Jennifer Lawrence is a knockout to, to look at. Uh, Sally Hawkins did great. I, I, I'm going with Lupita. Lupita Nyong'o of Twelve yeah. Years a Slave wins yeah. the Best Actress in a Supporting Role. She was spectacular in that yep. film. 
Yep. Where Go she, with her. Oh, gosh. That was an incredible performance. And uh, Blue Jasmine was a, was a good film. And Sally Hawkins, I, I, when I saw it, though, I didn't look at that saying that's, a, that's an Oscar-winning role. And I did not see August Osage County, but I did see Nebraska because we had Bruce Dern on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Oh, Jim. is that right? Yeah. And he, by the way, he is law. Tell him he's an encyclopedia of football knowledge. He was busting really? out players from the the, the when uh, the Rams were in Cleveland, Cleveland. And talking about scores and knowing final scores of games. And Jim, I kid you not, it was remarkable. It was stunning. How I much the movie. Yeah, and he was incredible in it, and we'll obviously get to that in a moment. But yeah. he was, I mean, talking about football, talking about football, he knew everything about everybody. He knew where Vince Ferragamo went to college before he went to Nebraska. No he knew, yes, he, we, we had Jack Youngblood calling to surprise him. And and he 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 knew exactly when Jack Youngblood well Jack Youngblood went to college and what he did in college and it was unbelievable, unreal. That's interesting. He he, he must be a good guy. You know, he sounds like a good guy. He did a great job in that movie. I like the movie. I had I had friends that didn't think it was that good. I sat there. I laughed through it. I thought some of those some of those scenes were some of the funniest scenes I saw all year. Yeah, there was it was, and he also, but he's also telling stories about Alfred Hitchcock and Nicholson and James Garner and Charlton Heston. It was one of the greatest uh, guests we've ever had. After you, of course. Yeah. After. You. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's now move on to let's go to the screenplays, right? Yeah. Uh, let's go to best screenplay before midnight. Captain Phillips. Philomena, 12 Years a Slave, and The Wolf of Wall Street. And the Best Adapted Screenplay Oscar goes to... 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I haven't seen it. I've got to see it. You agree? Yeah, I would. Good. I would. Uh, You know, The Wolf of Wall Street was... uh, Captain Phillips was one of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah. Where, I mean, and, and, and the fact that Tom Hanks got shut out of Best Actor just stunned me because I thought... That way that Tom Hanks played the last 15 minutes of that film when he was in total shock, being treated on the ship of the, the Navy ship, yeah, Jim, yeah. I've never seen anything like that. That was yeah. incredible. Yeah, it was outstanding. But you, why do you like 12 Years a Slave for the, the screenplay? I don't know. I, I like the movie. You know, when we get to Best Picture, I'll, I'll okay, you'll say that too. But okay. I, I just, I just, I just, I don't know. Just I sat there just. Totally captured by the whole thing, you know, the, okay. the whole situation. Yeah. Best original screenplay, American Hustle, Blue Jasmine, uh, Dallas Buyers Club, Her, which I know you haven't seen, and Nebraska. And the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay goes to... Dallas Buyers Club. Ooh. I like it, Jim. Because you know... You bo- do? Well, I mean, I do. Okay. I thought that was a well-told story. Great but, story. But, uh, I mean, this is usually the... Um, this is usually the a bellwether category. You know what I mean by that? That that whoever gets this, it might be their night, right? Yeah, so if yeah, American yeah, Hustle yeah. gets best original screenplay, you know that's got a shot for director and best picture. Dallas Buyers Club. If Dallas Buyers Club wins this, I think it. it you know McConaughey's going to probably win that award too. I thought Coach might but go with uh, Blue Jasmine. Blue Jasmine, pretty big Woody. Well, Allen now tell thing. me, I, I, I'm gonna, you know, Blue Jasmine is gonna get one of my awards. I, re, I, I, that was the first of all these movies that I saw. Yeah, because that came out. And a I while really ago. liked it. I really liked it. I almost thought that Andrew Dice Clay would get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He was that good in that movie. Yep, Andrew yep. Dice Clay. No. But I think I know where you're gonna go with the Blue Jasmine Award. Okay, so Dallas Buyers Club 
Best Original Screenplay. Now let's go to Best Foreign Film. Best Foreign Language Film. How many of these did you see? First okay, of all? I have to admit, I've only seen two of them. Okay, that's good enough. The nominees are from Belgium, The Broken Circle Breakdown. From Italy, The Great Beauty. From Denmark, The Hunt. From Cambodia, The Missing Picture. And from Palestine, Omar. Which ones did you see? I saw The Broken Circle Breakdown. Mm -hmm. And I saw Omar. Okay. And And I loved them both. Okay, so I assume those are the two from which you will choose. The Oscar goes to... Omar. From Palestine. What do you like about it? The story, the acting. Uh, what was the story about? I have no idea about these films. Well, it was about about these about these three guys that uh, were. There was a big wall between Palestine and 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 Israel. And, Israel. Uh-huh. and, and the, one guy in particular, they were Palestinians, and then he, then he then he kind of went over to the other side, and then he met a girl, and it was a lot of love, a lot of tragedy. Uh, Young guys getting involved in a lot of things, a lot of uh, p- political stuff between Israel and Palestine, uh, action. And there's a well-told uh, story? Well-told, yes. Okay, so Omar wins Best Foreign Language Film. Can we call that an international shout-out to Palestine from yes, Coach Yes, I think we can. Perfect. I think we absolutely can. Okay, so now it's time to get to the biggies. It's time to get to the biggies. Let's start with uh, Best Director, David O. Russell, American Hustle. Alfonso Curon, uh, Curon, uh, Gravity, Alexander Payne, Nebraska, Steve McQueen, 12 Years a Slave, and the great Martin Scorsese for The Wolf of Wall Street, and Jim Moore's best directing Oscar goes to. This was the, my hardest pick mm-hmm. of all of them, I think. But just about all the stuff that went on in this movie... I'm going with the guy with Gravity. I think that's Curon. the winner. I think you're, you're, you're spot on, man. Jim, I, I think you're spot on. That gravity's not going to win much other than whatever technical aspect awards that it's up for. Yeah. And, you know, if 12 Years a Slave, if Steve McQueen wins this, which they're all well-deserving, obviously, right. then, then it's going to be a 12 Years a Slave clean sweep. Yep. But I think they're going to give the nod to, to gravity. Right Why do you here. think so for best director? Because it was yeah. really a spectacle. I mean, I really yeah, felt okay. like I was. I saw it in 3D, and it was unlike anything that you've seen. Now, a lot of yeah. people thought there really wasn't much to the plot, and it was dragging. And um, I disagree. I really enjoyed it. I love Clooney. That's the bottom line. And and I thought um, I thought everything about it was intense. I you know. I, yeah. I thought that uh, Sandra Bullock was great in it too, but the, it just looked incredible. It just you know looked why I liked incredible. it because I didn't know the uh, what was going to happen. I didn't know if she was going to make it out or not. Yeah, I know that would have been Captain a... Phillips. You knew the you knew the ending in Captain Phillips. Yeah, which was which was one of the ones I saw kind of before I saw Gravity, and they were both kind of ones that kept you on your edge of your seat. Gravity, I swear to God, I didn't know if she was going to going to Make but, it out of that thing. But and, to uh, me, the best the best movies are the ones where you know the ending, but you're on the edge of your seat anyway. Oh, yeah, like, that's true. Like, for that's instance, true. like Miracle, seeing the movie Miracle, yeah. where I, I know they're going to beat the Russians, right, in the 1980 yeah. Olympics. I yeah, know I that's know. going to happen. But I yeah. was still on the edge of my seat during the hockey seats, you know. Yeah. I, I, so, yeah. uh, But I hear what you're saying. I, I think you're right, though, Jim. I'm with you. 
I'm with you Good. on that one. I'm glad we agree. Sandra Bullock slated to make over $70 million on this with back-end points. No kidding. On how the movie did. Look at you talking back-end points, Chris yeah. Law. You know, it's just what I bring to the table. All right. So she's she's already a winner. She's a winner. <laughs> she's already won. All right. The she final already. She guys, got one for the... Uh, for the blind side. Yeah, the blind side, yeah. Okay, so then let's get to best actress. Amy Adams, American Hustle. Kate Blanchett, Blue Jasmine. Uh, Sandra Bullock, Gravity, Judy Dench, Philomena, and Meryl Streep, August, Osage County. And the Best Actress in a Leading Role Award goes to... I went to for Kate Blanchett. Yeah, I think you're right. Lou Jasmine. I she thought was she incredible. was outstanding. She was unbelievable. Yeah. I didn't see Philomena, and you just, you just, you know, you just... Um, you just, she was good. She was you, great. It's just stipulated yeah. that Meryl Streep is Oscar-worthy in anything that she does, right? I mean, she just... Yeah. Um, but and I didn't see, like I said, but Amy Adams was spectacular in it too. She yep. was. But I'll go Kate Blanchett with you. I'll go with you there okay. too. Good. Uh, we're, best. We're agreeing here. We are best actor in a leading role: Christian Bale, American Hustle; our guy, Bruce Stern of Nebraska; Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, The Wolf of War- Wall Street; Chiwetel Ejiofor, Twelve Years a Slave. Thank you, and Matthew McConaughey. Of Dallas Buyers Club and the best actor in a leading role, Oscar goes to. Okay, now, now this let me just tell you this. It came down to two guys for me, okay? And and I didn't think that one of these guys, before I went into the movie, would be a candidate for best actor. And that would be Leonardo DiCaprio. But he comes in second. And I'm gonna go with Matthew McConaughey. He I love was... the movie and I thought he did an unbelievable job. He was spectacular. Although yeah. Chiwetel Gia Four in Twelve Years a Slave was Yeah transcendent to use yep. a, a term and, and I loved Bruce Dern all of these guys were incredible and that's why I guess Tom Hanks somehow got shut out but Matthew McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club was incredible have you by the way have you seen True Detective on HBO Jim? I've watched about we've watched like the first three we, we've recorded it we've watched the first three Sundays and then uh, we've, we've, we haven't watched it in the last couple of weeks so we got to catch up did you like it do you like it yeah, it's okay so far. I mean, again, maybe it gets better, some of the ones I haven't seen yet, but I thought it was a little slow. Man, it is so dark. It makes Breaking Bad look like the Flying Nun. <laughs> I'm two episodes in. I'm enthralled. It's, oh, my God. It, but McConaughey in it, they, they, you know, his uh, scenes where he's, um, where it's the, fl- it's, it's, the pl- it's the present day uh, scenes with him where he's yeah. being interrogated. Yeah, yeah. 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 Drinking the beers. The, people have already on on blogs have come up or Twitter have come up with a name for for his scenes. They call it McConologues. Oh, really? Where he's sitting there, his monologues, and the way he goes off, and the way he talks, and the way he moves, and the language. It's a McConologue. Is what they, he's incredible in that. Yeah. I mean, he's going to get nominated for an Emmy. That's for sure. Based off of that, that's 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 a dark that's a dark show. Yeah, I, I like I say, I thought the first three were a little slow, but I'm going to watch them all. Yeah, I'm going to watch them all too. What's incredible oh, yeah. about Chris, Christian Bale? He when he did the Machinist, he got down to like 120 pounds, and then for this role, he was 242. For uh, I don't know how they do that. American Hustle. I don't either. It's insane. It can't be good for him. No, they can't. <laughs> I know. God. It can't be good for him. All right, and last one. Best Picture of, uh, of 2013, of the 2014 Oscars, Best Picture. The nominees are American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, Her, Nebraska, Philomena, 12 Years a Slave, The Wolf of Wall Street, nine quality films, eight only seen by our 
best, uh, our, our, our official movie reviewer, Jim Moore's best picture of the 86th Academy Awards is... 12 Years a Slave. I, I agree. That was the best. It's either that or Dallas Buyers Club for me. I, I came down to those two for me also. Those were the yep. two best pictures I saw, and I really enjoyed yeah, American too. Hustle. I really enjoyed Captain Phillips, Nebraska, and The Wolf of Wall Street. I, I, I put those cate- those together. I didn't see yeah. her and Philomena either. But Dallas Buyers Club and 12 Years a Slave yep. were the ones that resonated with me longest. Yeah, me too. And I, yeah, I and, think, and they should because of their story. Yeah. And Twelve Years a Slave to me was the best picture. So you're of the saying year. I need to see that movie. That's the, one of the three I haven't seen. It is. Like, it yeah, is. Twelve so, years. Yeah. It is grueling, law to the point, and it, and it is grueling, and it is raw, to the point where I know people that just essentially stipulated to its Oscar worthiness and said I don't want to see it, but it is an important film to see. Yeah. And the acting in it is spectacular. It is incredible. Um, so okay, so I, saw, your... I talked to people that didn't want to see it either because they they thought that the the you know the punishment that was put on you know the guy here. I mean, he, they didn't want to see it. They they did they did. They but that's the, that's that's like. that's American history. Unfortunately, that's American history. You got you got to watch it. You got that's what happened. I know yeah. that is exactly what happened, and what a story. Yeah. And the way they told it, it really was is a special film, and I would have no problem with that taking home. The best picture Oscar, no yeah. problem at all. Okay, Jim. So uh, I hope you go eight for eight. You just, I think you you might. Should we get a few more of his diddly poo ratings on the best pictures? Yeah, we what? got two and a half out of American Hustle. We haven't gotten. So numbers. I would imagine you go zero diddly poo on Twelve Years a Slave. Zero. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I go zero two on Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, that was so good. That was so very good. Okay. Now and, I, you know you almost got to go. You know, like like. Like I loved, I loved Captain Phillips. I loved Gravity. Uh, I'd put them maybe the next, and the Wolf of Wall Street would all mm-hmm. be in the next category. And so, if you give the other ones a zero, I'd give, I'd give yeah. them a one. But you I, could almost give them a zero too. You know I liked I mean? American Hustle more than you, obviously. Yeah, I enjoyed it. So I enjoyed I, it. I, I really, really enjoyed, enjoyed it. Too. I thought that was a fun ride. That was fun. Um, uh, uh, well, so so Jim, um, have you seen anything lately that you liked? Any movies God, lately that you liked? Did the last one I've seen was what was the uh, was the foreign film, The Broken Circle Breakdown, which which you know one of the two I saw. I really like that one. It's a tragedy, but the acting was in, it's an intense movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have I seen? Is Con- is Connie Lockstep in your in your assessments of these films? Do you uh, do you disagree on any of these at all? I don't know. I really haven't. We haven't. We, you know, we I haven't really discussed it with her when I was making my choices here. Okay. Um, the Academy yeah. doesn't really recognize comedies. Was there a favorite comedy you had this year? Good question. Kind of put it on the spot there. Give me some, give me some, that. Give me some examples. What? Oh, it's, um, yeah, I know. I mean, I don't heat, remember. The Heat one, I guess, with Melissa McCarthy. And that was funny. That was funny. Yeah, I like that. That one did, um, did pretty well. Anchorman 2. Did you see Anchorman, Anchorman 2? 2? I did not see that. Oh. This is Somebody the told end. me it wasn't as good as the first one. Is that right? It, it, it was funny. It was very, very funny. I saw The Heat, though. That was good. That was funny. Yeah, this is the end. I wasn't a fan of that one. No, I thought that was huh. hilarious. It was no. a little off the charts. Was, well, please. My gosh. Um, yeah, there really weren't. A, this was not a great year for comedies, I don't think. I mean, I didn't yeah. really think of anything that made me yeah, when nothing, uh, go see it and make me laugh out loud. But I think you're spot on in your assessments, Jim. You're, you're, you clearly have the finger on the pulse of Hollywood. 
There's no well, doubt about it. I'm doing it. my best. Hey, that's when what I, happens when, when I you... come on with you. I know I got to be sharp. Yeah. Well, listen. That's what happens when your son ro- runs a, the top program in the Los Angeles area. You got uh, yeah. You got your finger on the Hollywood pulse. Hey, tell me about Anthony Barr. Tell me about him. We saw him at the combine. How good I really is he? like him. I, I I think he's raw because he hasn't played the position that much. But I think when you talk about six five two fifty five runs of you know, a four seven seven forty or whatever he ran. He ran like a little that. faster than that. We clocked him at four six and changed. Yeah. Maybe that was it. Four six and yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, the guys the guys you know, he could almost be a defensive end, a down guy, you know, put his hand on the ground and be a defensive end because he's big enough he's I think he's big enough for that. He he's he he's I don't want to say he's lumbering, but mm-hmm. he probably isn't, but he, he he's an animal. I mean he's a raw a raw guy, and he's a great kid, and he's a hard worker, team-oriented. I mean, I, I think he's got a terrific future. In the yeah, NFL. I mean, he was, he was a running back not too long ago. So. He was a running back until two years ago. Yeah, not yeah. too long ago. So and, he, he's, and he hardly ever played. Yeah, uh, And he's just, yeah, he's, he looked really good. He looked really good at the combine. Yeah, he's a stud. I mean, he's a good-looking guy. I know that. Now walk me through the process that you think the Texans are going through, kicking the tires on these quarterbacks uh, for being number one overall. Well, here, uh, here's my point on this. I, I don't think I, – I think sometimes teams get too locked into we need a quarterback, let's take this guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If he's not maybe the best guy that they could take. I, I think, I think you've got to build your team. And it, I know they need a quarterback. I know they do. But I, I don't know if you, if you take a Johnny Manziel who's from Texas. I, I – I mean, he's got some, and I haven't watched him that much, but he, he's, he's got some negatives. And, you know, and, and maybe there's pressure on him, but, from, but, but you can't let the outside pressure, you know, dictate your, your selection. You've got to go with who you think might be the, the very, very best football player out there. If there's a guy that stands out as the best football player, even though he's not a quarterback, mm-hmm. I think you've got to take the guy. I, I think if you go too much for need a lot of times, you end up taking somebody that's not a value at that pick. Well, the issue I, is, though, is that is that you talk about negatives or whatever red flags there may be with Manziel or whomever at the quarterback position. Clowney has a similar red flag, too. And the idea of teaming him up with J.J. Watt to go hunt clearly the best quarterback in that division you're going to have to – they know right now. Bill O'Brien knows right now. Texans, the McNair family, Rick Smith, the general manager, they know right now they're going to have to deal with Andrew Luck for the next decade in that yeah. division and try and get past him and whichever group of talented individuals, the Colts, if they're fortunate enough to surround him with. And why not try and put together two bookend animals to go hunt him and keep him harassed for an entire 60 minutes of football. It, yeah. That's tempting, too, don't you think? Very tempting. And, and if, if, if you think Clowney's the, the best guy, the best guy, which he may be, the best, the best talent in the draft, mm-hmm. then, then you take him. But how do you kick and, the tires, and, and, you kick the you, tires on somebody uh, with their heart? How do you kick the tires on somebody? How do you do that? Okay, here's the thing. I don't know. I don't. I, I all I know about his heart is what I read in the paper during the season. He was not going to play, or you know, and all. I, I'd go. I'd. I'd. I'd make, do such a thorough investigation on that, and 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 learn everything I could on that. And if there is some problems with his heart, then. <laughs> 
you got to reconsider. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because you're not, you're not going to change the guy. He's not going to say, well, okay, now he's going to start making money. He's, he's going to play harder. That, that, maybe for a year that works. But basically, guys don't change like that. They just don't. Mm-hmm. They, they, they fall back to what they what they really are eventually, even though they're making millions of dollars. So now, I know you that's told that's got to be a consideration. You know that was a problem with when we were talking about Peyton and Ryan Leaf. Right. And, you know Ryan Leaf had no heart. He he had no discipline. He had no. He, and, and, and physically, he might have been more talented than Peyton, but Peyton had all the other assets that uh, intangibles that that Ryan didn't have. And and that shows up eventually. Now, and with you, the number one pick, you can't screw it up. Now you told me. I think you told the story that Leaf told you. Yeah, this is great. You that that you asked Peyton and Leaf the same question. What's the first thing you're going to do if we make you number one overall? You yeah. told me that story once. Yeah. And what? You want to hear it? Yeah, I do because. Well, well, we interviewed them when we went to their schools. This was when we went to their schools, and 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 after they worked out for us, we we sat down with them. Napoleon and me and some other people in our program, and, and we asked Peyton, you know, what are you going to do? And he, he says, well, I, w- I want to get up to Indianapolis as soon as I can. I want a coach to come down with some tapes and the playbook so I can start studying it and, and learning the offense and, you know, who, who, who's going to be some of the surrounding talent I'm going to have, everything related to football. And when we asked Ryan Leaf the same thing, he says, well, the first thing I'm going to do is is I'm going to get my girlfriend and we're going to, or my buddies, I forget which one it was, and, and we're going to go to Vegas and we're going to celebrate if I'm the number one pick and we're just going to have a ball for three or four days. Then I'm going to, then I'm going to take my girlfriend to Hawaii when I get my bonus money and we're going to, we're going to have a great time over there. Nothing football related. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, and yet though, my favorite part of the story too is that you still did your due diligence on Leaf. That 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 wasn't the rap right there. Like you didn't break no. off the concept of drafting Ryan Leaf on the spot. No. It was just one thing that we had to consider in making the decision, yeah. Now, what of this story? I'm sure you heard that, too, that Lee Steinberg in his recent book came out and said that Leaf purposely sabotaged his meetings okay. with you to, to okay, go. Okay. Now, to I not- didn't read the book, but here's the deal that I heard that I didn't like. One, I don't think that ha- happened. Right. What we, were, what we were told was the next day, he was supposed to, you know, we had an interview set up with him in the evening, and and. They're at the combine, and and he didn't show. We're all just sitting there, and he didn't show. And we're figuring, here's a guy that's gonna has a chance to be the number one pick in the draft, and he he doesn't show, and he doesn't tell us. The next day, we were told that he had a an appointment with a physician, a doctor there, and he had and he had to go to that. Okay, that's what we were told. Okay, I and I I I believe that probably, but at least he could have done was let us know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, and and. And I, I, the fact that he tried to sabotage, I think, is a, a total lie. Okay, and the other thing that really bugged me is that Steinberg said that I did my typical rant or something like that. Do a rant because he didn't show up. We just sat there and said, where the heck is this guy? He's supposed to be here. What's the deal? You know, stood us up, all that kind of stuff. Me, Polian, uh, uh, Dom was in there, our, our you know, head of personnel. I mean, there was no rant involved. But it, it certainly didn't go over too well with us. I mean, Peyton came in in his interview. He's taking notes and all this kind of stuff. It was amazing. And then Ryan Leaf has a chance to be the number one pick in the draft and stands us up. Wasn't right. Wow. Anyway. And it still went down to the wire, though? That whether it went down to the wire for it because, because we had to be – you can't – especially with a quarterback you, and, and the very first pick in the draft, you can't – you can't – you know, you can't – 
not look at everything. I really think, and I know in my mind this was true, and in our offensive coach's mind it was true, and I think in Polian's mind it was true, we really leaned toward Peyton the whole way, okay? Mm-hmm. And we were, we were hoping that he would turn out to be the guy, which he was. And, and so, but we still had to do everything possible to evaluate these guys. And I guarantee you, we did everything possible, everything. To, to, to determine who was the best guy. Man, that's what the Texans are going to be going through over the next two yeah. and a half months. So zero yeah. diddly poos for Peyton. Zero. Four, <laughs> four for Leaf after the interview my, process. My, minus ten. <laughs> Whatever. Jim, you are the best. You are the best. Thanks for taking the time out. I appreciate it. My um, pleasure. You're, you are uh, – you're, you're, please let us know when you're in the L.A. area with you and Connie and just l- let us know and say hi I'd to everybody. I'd love to come first. by sometime. It's been a while since I've been there. Please let, 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 let me know. I mean, you would get the red carpet. We don't have one. We'd buy one and roll it out for you. I've yeah. guaranteed, I don't right. think the network has a red carpet anywhere. We're Thanks, lucky to have Chris. carpeting. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, okay. Coach. Good, appreciate have it. Have a good day, guys. You bet. That is uh, Jim Mora back on the Rich Eisen podcast as only he can with his Oscar picks. Jim Mora Sr., Getting a little fired up there with his uh, uh, Brockman's back now. By the yeah, way, yeah. Who, so, who, who are his picks? Who did he like? Oh well, Oscar's. Well, we finished the interview. When we finished it, Rich was asking about what we were talking yeah. about kicking the tires. Oh, and okay, stuff. Right, right. And I guess Lee Steinberg came out with some comments about the sabotage. He thing. got upset that that they accused him of ranting, ranting. <laughs> in the meeting rant. that that Ryan Leaf blew off. That that Steinberg said he blew off on purpose to game the draft, and and said that that. Mora was left ranting, and and Jim took offense to the term rant. I, I don't understand Ryan best. Leaf wanting to go number two. That makes no such dude, a strange no story. What, what Why? Because he wanted to go to San Diego to game it. What you brought up is come on. You said the most fascinating part was you guys still had to do your due diligence on Leaf, yeah. and they did. Still had to do it. Which they, is crazy. All these things, all these red flags. Talk about red flags. I mean, it's like a it's like an amusement park. There were so many red flags. <laughs> And they still kept grinding tape on him. Um, but his Oscar picks, I do have those. 12 um, Years a Slave is best picture. Yeah, he had 12 Years a Slave. I, I, Matthew I, McConaughey I and Jared Leto are best actor and supporting actor. Yep. Kate Blanchett is best actress. Yep. Lupito, I'll let you go with the last uh, one. Yeah, the... Uh, supporting actress, yeah. the one from 12 from Years a Slave. From Just Slave supporting yep. actress. I mean, he's... That He's was, got his finger clearly on the pulse of Hollywood. Remarkable how many film. How many diddly poos, Brockman, do you think he gave American Hustle? Remember, so it, zero is I love this film. No diddly poos is the best, and four, four is the worst. Four is the worst. So I'm, I'm gonna. Hustle. I bet. Uh, ooh, I know that he probably thinks Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Adams are foxes, but, <laughs> I, but I, I would. I would bet. I, did that come up? Yeah. Okay. And I would bet that he didn't like the movie though. So I'm gonna say two diddly poos. Well, he initially gave it three, three. and then I talked it up, and he he he, he shaved off half, half a diddly yeah, poos. So two and a half, half diddly, diddly poos. poos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. You gave both Dallas Buyers and Twelve Years a Slave zero. zero yeah, yeah, that was those, those were his two top ones. Uh, amazing. But he loved Wolf of Wall Street. He did. He did. It. Oh my gosh! That's but what he said, he said that so if some friends is he knew some people oh, who walked, walked out. out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not walking out of that with uh, I forget her name in it, but ooh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, Margot, Margot Robbie. Robbie. Yeah. Hey, hello. hello. Wow. I mean, yellow that <laughs> newcomer of the year. You can rip the knob off on that award. Jeez. Yes. And she was excellent. She was good. She was great. And As I didn't a Bay know she Ridge was... Brook, she's Australian, she's Australian. And she nailed, trust me, from growing up on the other side of the Verrazano Bridge from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, she nailed the accent. Nice. Nailed it. That was a fun movie. It was a fun movie. You know. Um, 
But yeah, those are the those are the big ones. And he and nice. he he went uh, director Gravity. Yeah, yeah, which I think may just happen. He may nail he it. May, all. I think he, he might go six for yeah. six. Yeah, Fonzo's Cuaron. Yep. And then best foreign film, uh, he saw two out of the five, so we just went with those two, and uh, he took Omar, the film out of uh, Palestine. And what would he would he go with adapted and and uh, um, best screenplay, Twelve Years a Slave, and then best uh, original. Did he did he like her? I don't think we. He never, he saw, never saw her. her. Oh, he didn't see the her. The one thing he didn't uh, see. he would have liked that. I think. I might not have written down. Did you like her? Did you see? I it? didn't see it. Oh, okay. I didn't see it. I never written that well, at any rate, that was uh, that was Jim Moore of Senior. Do we have any housekeeping? Um, I mean, it's been weeks. It's been it's been two weeks. It has been a while. Um, we will next week. I'm going to try and contact our winner from our year long uh, podcast fantasy okay. uh, league and see if we can get an international listener on. Uh, he was from pa- Paris, France, so we'll see what we can do there. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, our friend of the program, Pat McAfee, is in studio next oh, week. He'll be on. Okay. And efforting a few other guests as well. Okay. Uh, for next the next two weeks, yeah. So we're still we're still moving. We're still doing shows. Still doing shows. Yeah. And uh, thanks for everyone listening to the the, the Brockman Law DJ Rich Phoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. That was a that fun went, time. That went pretty well. Yeah. That was great. Do you have an international? Did, show did, I I do. Um, I I don't know his name, so I'm going to refer to you after I read his message. Okay. He said, "By the way, I've listened to every podcast every week's from Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I can't, Good Lord. I can't talk. Jerusalem, Israel. So an international shout out would be sweet." What is his name? Okay, let me take you. You hand it to the Jew. I hand it to my resident uh, Jewish person. Oh my God! Uh, I can. I, I guess I can inspire her. I would go with that. I can inspire her. Excellent. So there you have it. He Very is our good. international shout out of the there week. There is, and uh, and shalom, shalom to him. Shalom. Also, we we do. We mentioned <laughs> at the beginning of the show. We have that that T-shirt in the works. May or may not do it. Yeah, if you're know. if you're up for this T-shirt, yeah, tweet let us, us tweet us with the hashtag uh, five. Spell out point and then nine, nine eight. eight. Hashtag five, the number five. Right, Long wants to sell t-shirts. You know, the t-shirt business is a slippery it's slope. A, I have friend. the mock-up done. You've seen it. it I think good. it looks hilarious. It and looks it's good. good. Right. So. <laughs> uh, very good. Good job, guys. All of you. Fun stuff, man. Okay, I'm now going to sleep. I'm not going to sleep. Finally, it's been a long, long, long grind. As you know, everybody here at the network, everyone. It's our favorite thing we hear. It's like, so what do you do after the Super Bowl? It's just like, good Lord, do you know how many people have been planning the combine? People playing the combine starting the beginning of the playing season. Yeah. And now it's draft. And now, and now, I, now draft. Pete, you know how many people went from Indianapolis to New York for a draft meeting? I know. A ton. I know. Straight from Indianapolis to New York for the first draft meeting. Where the season and and, and, and the draft is, is two weeks two later weeks than normal. later this year. Because of bugs, or because of the Easter Bunny. Easter Bunny, a any bunny, <laughs> not bugs. Just a, yeah, a yeah. bunny. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> Whatever. Fantastic. All right, for the latex salesman in Hillbilly, continuity at Chris issues. Law. Come on, continuity. Issues. And at Chris Brockman, I'm at Rich Eisen for at the Eisen Podcast. Peace out. Stay listening, friends. <laughs>